I don't know. I'm making this up as I go. Wait a minute. I forgot my introduction. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe is unfortunately not here. He had a uh, family affair to take care of this weekend. But Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We dig into movies, be a most supportive for your review, the occasional commentary track, or some other fun movie topic. This is episode 540, 540. And this week we are talking Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. The fifth entry in the... Why did I have to look up? Like, like what, what would I dream it? The fifth entry in the Indiana Jones saga? Um, and joining us to discuss Indiana Jones The Dial of Destiny, we have creator of Life versus Film and co-host of Deep Blue Sea, the podcast, and Con Air, the podcast. He's digging in the wrong place. It's Jake Lewitt. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thrilled to be here. Great. Also joining us from Ember Productions. He's making this up as he goes along. It's Tony Award winner, Maxwell Hadid. Hello, everybody. Good afternoon, good morning, whatever time it is, where you are. And also joining us from Movies, Films, and Flicks, and the other co-host of Deep Blue Sea, the podcast, and Con Air, the podcast. He's aware X never ever marks the spot. It's Mark Hoffmeyer. Right now, I'm recording this episode while falling from an airplane on a life raft. So <laughs> if the sound's bad, I apologize. I'm underwater. <laughs> the, the wind resistance is great on, on your side mark and i mean jay if this was a scuba session this would be one hell of a scuba podcast this but, pop uh, filter <laughs> is working wonders right now i didn't think they worked underwater but yeah well i'm glad all three of you guys are here today i'm looking forward to talking about this movie with you i i'm excited to talk about this movie with all of you how, how are you all doing this, this today well thank you good yeah, Living dream. Good. yeah. well it, how are you aaron you know what? I'm doing. I'm doing well. I'm doing. I'm doing well. I had a had a nice Saturday with my lovely girlfriend, and it's a a holiday weekend, which just means which means I get to play more disc golf. So like, I'm happy. I'm, I have other things to be happy about. I'm going to talk about them later. Uh, but uh, no, I'm excited to have you guys here, Maxwell. It's been a minute, I think, since we've had you on. So I'm excited to have you yeah, back on the it's show as well. It's been a while. I I tend to to be too busy for my own mental health and well being. Um, so you'll often ask me and I'll be like, no, I have something to do. So when it does work out, it's always a pleasure. Yeah. Not without trying, of course. Happy to have you. On no, the not at all. But, but yeah, of course, happy to have you back. And, um, Jay, obviously, you know, we, we, we bought you a ticket to bring you over here across the, across the pond, uh, just to have you on this podcast that will quickly send you back away. So, I mean, yeah, this is, this is working out well so far, I think. I, I appreciate it. Thank you. I, I'd love a, a round trip for a podcast. It's always yeah. worth it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Mark, good to have you as always as well. We, we've had you on a few of the uh, recent commentary tracks. It's been a lot of fun, but uh, good to have you on that show proper as well here. Always enjoy it. Even if it means combining you with your podcast co-host. For Listen, this. I got to watch uh, Craven the trailer, Craven Hunter trailer for this episode. So it's <laughs> all worth the trailer. Craven the trailer. They should the lead movie. into that. Craven the trailer, Craven the cereal, Craven the toy. Craven the hunter. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I mean the the it's gonna be Godzilla size the merch push for yeah I mean like Craven the workout plan because he looks good. there you go oh, oh yeah. yeah yeah ATJ he's crushing it Craven the yeah. Craven the steroids yeah <laughs> well listen Craven the muscle milk yeah. <laughs> why not right like you just walk by and there's like a Larry's protein cookie and there's Craven on yeah. it and you're like well you know what you're craving yeah. oh, oh God <laughs> oh no. That's going to be it for it. me today. Have a good podcast. Yeah. Guys. I'll see you next 
if an advertising down, said that. All right. Well, we'll get, we're going to get back to Craven in a little bit here. Let's let's get some show notes out of the way. Uh, first up, commentary tracks. It is now July, and that means we're going to have a new commentary track. The theme of this summer has been superhero summer. We've been talking about various superhero films um, all throughout the summer when it comes to our commentary tracks. We already talked about X2, X-Men United, and, of course, The Mask of Zorro, both celebrating various anniversaries. This month, we're talking The Dark Knight, in honor of its 15th anniversary, which happens to tie with a new Nolan movie. And I hear people like Batman. So all of those things combined, I think, will make for a swell commentary on a movie that has never had any opinions whatsoever about it. So, uh, yeah, we're going to talk all about that pretty soon it's a new, it's a new but we got to do it that's i think uh what else um itunes reviews and ratings of course good to get those helps out the show helps out the people on the show if you want to log into itunes search route now there today you can adjust that and you can uh send in a rating review which would be great pops up in the old itunes charts so thank you in advance and um, okay this is rare we have i have three guests on with me today and they're all a part of the 11th annual summer movie gamble <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is this is huge. Like normally, it's Abe and I, maybe two guests at most, and you know, maybe one of them is in the summer. All three of you are all steeped in the competition that Abe I, and I have uh, have put upon all of us. I will say, as as the reigning champion, I feel really, really awful about how I've done so far this year because the box office has been in shambles. T- to it's be fair, this year, I, I I try to do some quick math in my head on these and. It doesn't look great for many of us here. Like I, no, I, I, I was gonna say, <laughs> it's, not, it's not like there's one person that's like, well, at least he did this. Like, no. Can like, we no, can we all tie for last place? <laughs> there have been numbers, numerous ties in the past, so we'll see what happens. It'll be interesting to see who falls up on top here. Right now, because uh, Scott Mendelson, friend of the show, who uh, box office expert, who's never won, um, as. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he has that's fun to point out all the time um he has mission impossible as his number one of the summer so like the 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 day the game is on as far as how well that's going to do versus how well he fares because he's, he's in a unique position right now compared to the rest of us who have various other picks for number one but in terms of this week's box office um indiana jones of the dial of destiny brandon peters number one pick for the summer uh opened with <laughs> 60 million dollars um which is uh not huge uh, not usually, you know, other movies are opening with double that to some at, at some points. So, um, again, it's for one thing, it's Sunday. It's a, it's technically like a weird, it's like a weird five day weekend. Like not really, but kind of. Um, I'm curious, like how much more it gains the next two days. And of course, there's also the rest of the summer. I'm very curious about the legs on the film. We're going to talk about the film later, so we'll have more thoughts. I think on why it's performing the way it is in addition to obviously the movie itself uh but that's where it opened uh spider-man across the spider-verse made another 11 million it has 339 right now it's pretty close to catching up to guard of the galaxy which is currently at 354 so yeah that's gonna happen um elemental good hold in its third week uh dropped only 39 percent. it's at 88 million right now uh which is far better than i could say with the flash which dropped another 67 percent and it lost 1,500 screens, and it's just under 100 million right now. The Flash Ooh. is going to be outgrossed by Transformers and Elemental, two films that we both mostly predicted would be either at the bottom of the top 10 or a Dark Horse. Wild and, times. Uh, Peter Paris had The Flash as his number one, of course. Peter Paris had it high. I know. <laughs> I don't, I, 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 does he have, I don't think he has his number one. Does he have number one? I'm looking at the sheet now. He's got his number oh one. Oh, my God. Okay. Well, yeah. that's... <laughs> It's it's well, tough because I, I want Spider-Verse or Across the Spider-Verse to be number one, but I put Guardians 3 as number one. So I'm like, all right, just slow down a little bit. And then just it's, it's, and then win an Oscar. Like just don't 
don't cross, don't pass Guardians 3, but it's going to. Well, but I'm uh, like, hey, slow down a little bit there, Spidey. Well, cool how's out. Ruby Gilman doing? So, Ruby Gilman, Abe's Dark Horse. <laughs> my pick. number nine pick. You're number, number nine, nine pick. <laughs> Wait, what? What's, what's Ruby? What? Ruby Gilman. Ruby comma, Gilman, Teenage Kraken. Kraken. Teenage Kraken. I, I got like you should be right in my wheelhouse. I, yeah, I, it's we'll, a, we'll talk about that more in quickies in a bit. But uh, Ruby Gilbert, TH Crack, it opened with five million this weekend in sixth mm. place. It is a uh, not do. It, it made less than Wes Anderson's movie's opening debut oh, no. last week. A <laughs> oh. hey, Wes Anderson film. <laughs> I can't wait to watch it on iTunes in two weeks. <laughs> yeah, I always this is I always do this. I put Ugly Dogs as the number ten one year, and it made yeah, you, you twenty gotta, million. Get away from these non like Pixar animated movies. It's huge. If it's not a Minions movie, or if it's not Pixar, or if it's not you know a giant IP known as Spider Man, uh, maybe, maybe not the best for a, a slot in the summer game. <laughs> I refuse to learn. Um, Go with your heart, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of fish movies, though, Little Mermaid dropped only forty percent, has two hundred eighty million right now, so it's hmm. uh, certainly making its money to a degree as far as the domestic box office is going. And that's it; that's all we need to cover for the summer gamble. But yeah, certainly a lot of things happening right now, and we still have we have July's open like next week. Not so much as far as potential box office huge grocers, but um, there's some huge heavy hitters in July that are coming. So we'll we'll get to there when we get there. But yeah, that's the standing, or at least that's that's a, an, an understanding of what's going on there. Let's move on. Let's let's get to some movies. Let's get to some out and out cookies. Yeah. Each week and out the way, we do to talk about the week. Yep. Yep. All right. Thank you, Jay. Um, uh, Maxwell, let's go to you first. What what have you seen recently? So I haven't seen many other movies recently, but if it's all right, I would like to take this opportunity to briefly talk about Back to the Future, the musical, sure. which just had its first preview on Broadway. Oh. Now, of course, there are some people that think it's unethical to discuss the quality of a show while it's in previews because it's an opportunity for the creative team to still be working on it. But I'm not going to be negative about it. I'm going to be pretty positive about it. So fuck ethics. Um, it is a super enjoyable show that is some of the best use of projection and technology and magic and special effects I've ever seen on a Broadway stage. Mm. If you're going to make Back to the Future a musical, you better make the audience see some serious shit, and they certainly do. It's really fun. It's funny. And honestly, the way that they use the DeLorean and uh, just the the technology in that theater is worth the price of tickets. So I think it's only going to get better as previews go on. And if you like the movie... Um, it gets a high recommendation. We were at the first preview and like half the audience was filled with people in cosplay. We're wearing various Back to the Future shirts. So the energy was really cool. It's just a fun experience and certainly one of the more successful movie to musical adaptations I've seen in recent time because it felt like it had its heart in the right place. I would like to concur with all of this. I saw it earlier this year in, in London and I'd loved every second of it. I have the soundtrack on my phone. Just proof. Lovely. <laughs> yeah, it, it yeah, premiered I... in it premiered in London first. Um, so by the time it got here, it was already a pretty well polished work. And uh, yeah, the the things they do with the Delorean, especially at, at the end, are incredible. I, I love that it's it's kind of a, a throwback musical at times. It feels it feels quite dated as it's supposed to because in the fifties, but like there's uh, modern touches to it as well. This is great songs, great performances. Uh, the guy who plays Doc Brown, who I can't remember his name, top of my head, but he's been in like, Roger Bart. Was, 
Thank you. He's oh, okay, excellent. He, yeah, he's the MVP. He's uh, phenomenal. Yeah, his his Doc Brown is is like influenced by Christopher Lloyd, but he also brings his own comedic touch to it, and it's a perfect performance because not too beholden to what came before, but the spirit feels right, and he's really really good. Look yeah. at look at the uh, quality think... of this free podcast we're giving you. We got a guest from England. <laughs> And and a Tony Award winner to tell you about a a, a stage play uh, for Back to the Future weeks before most of America will be able to see it. Like, look at the look at the quality here, guys. Oh my god, <laughs> um, this, this is good stuff. I'm surprised it took this long for a Back to the Future musical to happen. I, I know Bob Gale in particular is famously precious about what sure, people yeah. are allowed to do with uh-huh. Back to the Future, and he is involved, I believe, in in some capacity. Like he was certainly there on Friday at first preview. Um, so I think it was mostly just about the right team coming together to convince the Bobs that their their work would be in the right hands. And they couldn't okay. find a rhyme for Libyans. So it's taken them this long to just realize they could just cut it out. <laughs> well, very, well, very cool. Uh, thanks, Maxwell. Um, Thank you. Jay, let's go to you. What have you seen recently? I, I had nothing new, I'm afraid. But I, I, I could tell I wasn't going to see anything new, so I went and watched something old instead. And I figured... I'm talking to Aaron today. I should check out his most recent appearance on the Lambcast. So I watched Mikey and Nikki for the ah, first time. All right. I feel my I didn't know existed until you put it forward for movie of the month, year after year. Now I listened to the episode, and you had a tough go of things with the. I had a episode. hard time arguing for a, yeah. a for a classic movie. Honestly, but, um... Yeah, you had some people who it's tough to win around, but I, I I'm sad I was on there because I liked it a lot more than they they all did uh, for. Listeners who don't know, this is one of the, the four Elaine May films, uh, uh, starring Peter Falk and John Cassavetes, as like low-level mobsters mm-hmm. uh, in a, what, over one night that doesn't go entirely to plan for anyone. And it's gritty, you hate both of them immediately, and it gets worse as it goes on, but it's funny at times, and it's uh, you kind of can't, it's like car like crash at times where you just want to look away, but you can't, and mm-hmm. um, uh, Ned Beatty's in it. Oh, he's great. But yeah, I, I like this film a lot more than the rest of that lamp, that Lampcast crew. Uh, so I'm, thank I'm you glad, for the recommendation. For sure, I, I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I'm glad. I'm glad that my, my thoughts got through to some degree. Uh, but I, like, it's nice doing the that kind of show where hey, at least you went out and saw the movie. Like that's, I think that's key to it right there. Regardless of how you, I mean, it's on YouTube. It was rather so. No, you still you still took an hour and forty eight minutes of your time to watch it. So I mean, I'm glad I did. Yeah, and for just to get like a new thing in there, I watched the the Muppets Mayhem TV show. How's that? I liked it. Uh, it it focuses on the Electric Mayhem. In fact, there's no other Muppets in it from the, the main oh, cast. There's okay. a few. There's a couple of new ones. Unless you count, unless you count the rabbits. Uh, the rabbits. <laughs> Uh, but the, the Electric Mayhem never been... I'm a big Muppets fan, but from the films, Electric Mayhem has never really been that prevalent in the films. So they've always been like, ah, also ran Muppets, they just kind of background. But now, like, spending 10 episodes with them as they have to create an album. Uh, it, it, I, I love them all. Dr. Teeth has become one of my favorite Muppets, just based on this show. Well, good. Um, I, I... There's, a little, there's a little too much rom-com with the the human actors in it, which because okay. there's a you know I want I want it's a Muppet show. What more Muppets? I don't need. Oh, they're they're an agent lady played by uh, Lily Singh. She's got she's in like a love triangle and she's trying to make her own life work. So I don't care. Get to the Muppets. And for the Muppets, but the Muppets. But I, I get it. It's the Muppet stuff is great, and there's lots of cameos <laughs> as you might expect. Well, good. 
I, I I'm now I, I'm bumping this up on my Disney Plus queue to to get to this sooner because I, I I heard not, I because uh we're, because all these streaming services spend money on things and then are terrible at advertising them I mm-hmm. I often lose track of the things that I can watch sooner rather than later, um uh, so yeah I'll, I'll I'll put that up on the on the queue and catch up catch up with that. Uh, Mark, what have you been up to? What have you been watching? Oh, Dark Angel. Nineteen ninety, really? <laughs> Dolph Lundgren. Mm. Oh, the movie written by, written by oh, David. I thought, I thought the James like, Cameron the show, yeah, like Jessica Alba TV show. <laughs> it's uh, originally I come in peace. It's Dolph Lundgren battling. Uh, I know the what, who directed this movie. This is a, this is a good big guy. Oh, the guy who did Stone Cold. I yeah. forget his name. And I, like Action Jackson, right? Yeah, like oh, man, I just had his name on my the tip of my tongue. But yeah, he has like yeah, huge explosions in his movies. Former stuntman who be, became a movie director, which is absolutely wonderful. Craig R. And, Baxley. There we go. Craig Baxley movies. Yeah, it's okay. it's about Dolph fighting intergalactic <laughs> drug dealers who have come to Earth to steal pheromones from humans <laughs> and then go back to their home planet and like sell it for insane amounts of money. And so Dolph, Dolph Lundgren is Detective Jack Kane. And he and he teams up with uh, Brian Benben, and together they battle intergalactic drug dealers. This is what one of the greatest. was one of the greatest like spin kicks ever. Dolph missed his mark, and the stuntman missed his mark, and Dolph just obliterates a poor stuntman, and they mm-hmm. left it in. So, like, I learned about it when I was watching his movies for front kicks to, for a, a very important study. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just watched it again. And also, I just had to do an entire assignment. Uh, I had to go through Christopher Nolan's movies and pull stats, and it just reminded me about how much I really like Interstellar. And I watched all the Mission Impossible movies, and it reminded me how much I love Rogue Nation. And then I had to watch a thing about cheating in kids' sports movies, and I really like Rookie of the Year. Gary Busey's very warm in it. He's good. He's good. I like Rookie of the Year. If you like Rookie of the Year, have we got a podcast for you? Summer of 93 at 30 advertisements coming (laughs) soon. (laughs) Yeah, I just I've been in cheating and kids sports movies for about the last couple weeks. It's basically what's been on my mind. I'm a I'm a little big league. Yeah, little big league fan. That's my that's my kids baseball movie outside like the Sandlot. Little big league is is where it's at. (laughs) I just had to get I just had to watch Ladybugs. (laughs) <laughs> the 1992 Rodney Dangerfield movie. I'm sure that's aged well. Jeez Louise. <laughs> but I, I will say, if like Matthew Broderick was the star of it, it would be a lot worse. Like this is just a, it's a Dangerfield movie. And it's just really just, and it opened on the same weekend as White Man Can't Jump, The Cutting Edge. Big and, sports weekend, apparently. <laughs> and there's one more movie directed by the John Giavia, like one something about one something. So four sports movies opened up on March 27th, 1992. So that's been my world lately. But yeah, Dark Dark, Dark Angel. It's on Tubi. Okay. Thanks. Watch it. <laughs> Jack Kane is a terrible name for, for anyone. <laughs> Why? Because it's Jack the, the cut and the cut. You can't say it. It's like it's Jack. Jack you have to check sounds like one name a, an audible space in there detective jack kane i like the idea oh, that you kane. see like a six foot seven swedish man walking towards he's like oh that's jack kane of course that's his name <laughs> <laughs> uh, well i just like there's one point he just calls the the aliens assholes he's like these stupid assholes are chasing us. it's just it's a david kep wrote it and under it's a, a david kep so, movie? Oh, yeah boy. and so it's very oh. pithy so just just I don't know if you're bored and you have your you just you're tired of watching Nolan movies and pulling every time someone says the word Murph or mentions time and you need a break, 
just just watch Dark Angel. Murph. Okay. <laughs> well, thanks <Oof>. for that. <laughs> but I'm tired. That. This is great. I this is a break from work. So I'm I'm very happy to to not work for a second. This is good. I've watched a few things that I want to make note of. First is Ruby Gilman, comma, Teenage Kraken, of course. Um, you know, for a movie that has Kraken in the title, which promises kaiju action of some kind, not great. Not a not uh, great. Um, it, it's unfortunate because like th- it has the pieces there to do something. Like it's both a high school comedy that happens to involve a teenager who's posing as human <laughs> to hide the fact that they're a kraken, um, as well as a you know super supernatural or whatever mythological creature plot involving destiny and being a kraken and the fact that mermaids suck which is a funny thing that's a funny idea as far as in the summer of a mm-hmm. mermaid we have a premise of a film that involves mermaids as the enemy that's very dreamworks uh but the movie it's like 80 ish minutes with <laughs> with credits um and it feels like if there was more stuff going on they just lost it in favor of just slimming this down as much as they could to like get what they could out of it it just it just doesn't it feels like you know after puss in boots and um the bad guys it feels like a step backwards for dreamworks as far as the kind of thing they put out there when it comes to the animation or even like the draw of having like look at all these big names we have it's like what year of dreamworks is this movie coming from so it's it's a shame because i, I want to support kraken related features but uh, this was just not very good is there enough aquatic action for us to do a deep blue sea podcast no see that's the problem ah. it gets to the third act and i'm like okay at least the kaiju fight's gonna deliver and it's like it's like two minutes and it's like all right ah. well, that's, that's not... I'm crushed. I'm, I, was, uh, I was looking forward well, to covering this one. We'll have to do goes. a mini episode on it, Jay. Yeah, that, I, yeah. you know, you, you see it, and, and to judge at your own discretion as far as how much deserving of a deep blue see the podcast episode, groupie crack and teenage Gilbert is. That's so many words, uh, but um, <laughs> yeah, from my perspective, it's not not high there. On the other side of things, I watched Nimona As far as animated films go, this is on Netflix now. Uh, this movie is quite good. Uh, it's both a futuristic medieval action film as far as it's set in a like a now kind of time but it's still as if like what if medieval type situation still existed so there's still knights they're still using like bows and arrows except now they're like laser bows and arrows like it's like stuff like so it's it's a think of like samurai jack that's like a weird kind of future where it's like well it's still like this kind of stuff but it's also futuristic that's like the basic setting of this and it has that going forward as far as here's an action movie that has this kind of premise at the same time it's also very much a you know a, a metaphor it it doesn't hide that like the subtext is not very high in that regard like it's it's just right there and at the core of the story it's just like this buddy movie involving a shape-shifting monster person uh and uh and a knight that's been framed for murder you know one of those stories um it's um uh, it was famously gonna be made by I believe what um not disney was it blue sky um and then blue sky got like yeah blue yeah, sky got shut down uh but so the movie kind of like found new home um and as it stands it, if it has a flaw it's the fact that it's animated as well as it can be without having like what i assume was a bigger studio budget to really complete what is going for, but it still has a stylized look to it, which is interesting. Riz Ahmed and Chloe Grace Moretz are like the lead voices in it. Um, and re- like, regardless, like regardless of like whatever you take away from it, it's just a, like a fun movie. Like that's the, yeah. that's, that's the thing there. Like it's a fun action story that happens to have some, you know, messaging going on or what have you that 
you know works in the favor of the characters it's supporting so also good it's high in my list of things to watch soon because i've been a fan of the graphic novel since it first came out mm. as like a web comic like mm. 10 years ago okay. um and it, that was super enjoyable so i've been tracking the production and i was super disappointed when blue sky shut it down and then annapurna and netflix revived it and so hopefully watch it in the next couple of days here oh yeah it's uh between this and shadow in the cloud chloe grace moretz has had good good luck with monsters yeah <laughs> she front kicks mm. a gremlin in shadow in the cloud it's lovely a lot of similarities to the ending of this movie we're going to talk about today when indiana jones fronts kick the, yeah, the, the, the gremlin plane, the plane the plane ride at the end there's a lot of neat little similarities there um <laughs> what else um i i finished the bear season two on hulu good oh, show so really good, good show I, I would argue this is a better season than the first season. I think it just does the does the job. So I have about eight things I need to watch. Should I watch it? Like, should I bump it to the front of my queue? Uh, you, you certainly could. Uh, I mean, it'd be a nice, probably a nice break from the various things you have to count in movies. Yeah, I got all of Brad Pitt's movies next. And then I have uh, all of Girls. Brad Pitt's movies. Next. So it's like Cool World. Yeah, yeah. Years of Tibet. Yeah. Well, uh, fandoms turn in that. Meet Joe, Meet Joe Black. They're writing. Deadpool 2. I did that Brad Pitt eating article a couple years ago, and we're turning that into a by the numbers episode. So I'm going back through it to pull all the timestamps and other things. Oh, I, I think it's an incontrovertible fact that the quality of a Brad Pitt performance is in direct relation to how frequently he. No, eats I, yeah, on I figured uh, so. The the critical scores and box office are higher when he and I figured out all the calories that he eats in every movie, and it that's it's absolutely <laughs> he does this. This is the stuff he does. He does. He does. <laughs> oh no, I I believe, it, and I'm I'm glad that it like scientifically. <laughs> proves my hypothesis like moneyball he's fantastic and in that movie his cheeks are filled with snacks <laughs> always in every munching. frame there's always yeah he's always snacks. eating and yeah no it's fun it was i have i have all the data on it so we're turning that into an episode but i wanted to i don't want to give it away i gotta know i'm i'm adding something into it that'll make it a little bit different than all the right. article all right we'll hold off we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll get there when yeah. we get there all right so yeah the bear's good <laughs> <laughs> i need a break sometimes like it's nice to not watch something for work Jay, did, so, you, because... Jay, did, you ask, did you ask something about the bear i mean I, i'm looking for i've, I've had heard described as this season being one of the greatest seasons of any tv show of all time I mean, uh, it's not, not out in the uk yet so okay. i'm looking forward to it i feel like brad pitt were in an episode <laughs> I just, brad pitt should be in an episode of the bear eating at the restaurant I mean, bring it all together. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a surprising number of cameos or special guest stars in this season of the Bears. So you'll see. Yeah, nice. but, uh, so yeah, Bears great. Paddington. I it it is great. I'll just say, as someone who grew up in a restaurant and who then in his adult life worked to open a restaurant and was super familiar with the permits and the re I had severe stress flashbacks, which to me means that the show did its job really well. I was like, oh yeah, this feels almost too real i i will say that like if the first season was like watching a car crash in slow motion i'd say the second season feels more like an underdog sports story uh which is yeah it's really Rookie interesting to see the dynamic of that kind of shift yeah. absolutely that's a spot on uh, uh they also... still keep calling each other cousin so that's oh, why yeah. I enjoy. oh yeah Nick, i just oh, find yeah. it very odd calling oh. someone cousin <laughs> <laughs> i i also started watching a season two of swagger uh, with uh, O'Shea Jackson Jr. Um, so back it's a speak of underdog sports stories. It's a basketball show on um on Apple. I like that show quite a bit. I think oh. it's very good. So I'm uh, enjoying the second season so far. And the last thing I'm going to mention, there is a streaming service called Pluto TV. Are you guys familiar with Pluto TV? 
I've had to wa- I've used it sometimes. Yeah. yeah. It's like a free, free stuff. I don't even know if England has it, it, but it's like a it's a free it's like a free TV streaming service. So it just plays like TV. It's somewhat limited. It has ads, but it's like if you can't like afford like certain streaming services, it's like a good one as far as hey, free stuff has it. Pluto TV for July and presumably going forward has launched a new channel, uh, the Godzilla Network, uh, where 24 hours a day, it'll play everything related to Godzilla movies the cartoon show, what have you, everything Godzilla, 24 hours, that's a specific channel on Pluto. So, like, I could just leave TVs on now, walk into a room, it's like, oh, there we go. I got upset. I don't have to do it. It's already, it's already on. There we go. As, as, as we're doing this podcast right now, Godzilla versus Destroyer is playing behind me. Like, I'm watching it on TV right now. It's, uh, it's great. I, I'm very happy. I can just watch Godzilla whenever I want to, just be, just by happenstance. Uh, so that's that's what's going on in my world. We uh, do have Pluto TV in the UK. It's where I watched Empire of the Sharks. Well, there, uh, for... <laughs> there you go. All right. That's it. Yeah. Thank you. Let's move on now. Let's get to our trailer talk. We're going to talk about one of the newest movie trailers of the week, when it's coming out, what we thought it would have you. And this week we were talking Craven the Hunter. Craven the Hunter, the um, fourth entry in the non-Spider-Man, Spider-Man cinematic universe for Sony. Uh, that's right. Yeah, there's a Morbius and two cra- two Venoms. Uh, Craven the Hunter, of course, follows the character Sergei Kravenov, played by Aaron Taylor Johnson. He is a uh, hunting warrior who, based on what the trailers tell, like I know about Craven, but based on what the trailers telling me, his blood was fused with the lion's blood that makes him even better at hunting. After being cool. raised by his yeah. father Nikolai. <laughs> Played by comic book pro at this point, Russell Crowe. Um, yes, Russian accent. Uh, the, the, the plot involves, I believe, I ha- if again, based on the trail, if I have this straight, Aaron Terrell Johnson either smolders in chairs or rips cars off doors to beat people to death and bite their throats out. I think that's well, that the main rest of the story. If there's other things going on, cool too, I guess. Um <laughs> Mark, let me start with you. Are you excited for a Craven the Hunter movie? Yeah, why not? I mean, J.C. Chandor is a good director. That's I mean, the, the thing four... I keep forgetting, that the, this is directed the... by J.C. Chandor. Yeah, uh, like... A filmmaker that's made movies I really like a lot. <laughs> Margin Call, All is Lost, Most Violent Year. I think Triple Frontier. Yeah. Like, I think Triple Frontiers kind of slept on. It has one of my favorite visuals of probably the last 10 years when they're just weighed down by all that cash. Like It's, mm-hmm. it's a good movie. And so watching this, you you have you have a good cast. You I don't know. There's some snowmobiles, which I think is, they don't have enough in in comic book movies. So that's nice that they're bringing the snowmobile back. But I mean, whatever. It's like a comic book movie. It's fine. It looks good, and it has a good director and a good cinematographer. So I think I don't know. I'll, I'll watch it. Oh yeah, Ben Davis <laughs> is a cinematographer. Okay. Yeah. 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 I'm not gonna. Yeah. It's it's Craven. Like I. Uh, I don't think I'm going to be like first in line, but I'll go check it out. It's cool. ATJ, he's been doing good after Tenet and Bullet Train. So it's nice to see him get out of the Godzilla world where it's probably like one of the most bland characters I've ever seen in my life. So he's kind of uh, flexing his acting chops a little bit here. So yeah, it'll be fun. Jay, are you excited for Craven the Hunter? Uh, no, I'm not excited, but also, I don't care. I'd say uh, I, <laughs> I didn't see Morbius. I, I have seen Venom Still? Venom of the Carnage. Has, you have been morbid time for you? Oh, it's time. I, it's time. I've never morbid. I will never morbid. Uh, I've seen the Venoms once a piece and thought they were... F- I, I liked Tom Hardy in them, but that's kind of where I, I stopped liking those films. That's, that's uh, accurate. <laughs> beyond being confused as to how they got the cast of those films. 
And it's like that's the same thing. I'm confused as to how they got JC Chandor and Ariana DeBose and Aaron Taylor Johnson and Russell Crowe. And what's like Alessandro Navolo. I don't like him. What? And you don't like JP3. I've never forgiven him for not dying in Jurassic Park 3. But he died. That's his fault? That's, that's, like, yes. <laughs> absolutely, it is his fault. <laughs> and the fact that he's replacing Paul Giamatti as the rhino is. I, I will never, I cannot forgive this guy for anything ever again. Jay, like, the Marvel Universe is made up of multiverses now. Okay, there's, he's still, he's, Paul Giamatti's still out there rhinoing it up. But that's not being shown to me on a daily basis. He's, okay. he's popped up in a small role in a terrible film. And would now he have a chance to bring him back and would, give me Alessandro Navolo instead. That would when, be another movie entirely with him in it. When we say, when we see Craven the No Way Home, you'll get your Paul Giamatti. Oh. <laughs> Wait, so there's three aren't wait. No. By the this time has we, to be in like 15, By the time 16, we get to Craven the No Way Home, I'm sure there'll be three more Craven the Hunter movies by that point with different different cast members. <laughs> oh. oh wait. That sounds good. Yeah, I, I mean I'm I'm up for that. I'm up for Craven cinematic universe. Ma- Maxwell, are you any higher on this Craven the Hunter trailer? No. <laughs> I, I just think it's bold of Sony to make uh, a White Panther movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, listen, the the Sony Spider Verse is as derivative and poorly designed as modern comic book movies get. I mean, no one wants Morbius. I don't know why anyone would want Venom Three, and it just these are characters that predominantly function in service of being an antagonist to Spider Man. So yeah. by design, there's a logical fallacy that my brain can't get over. This one looks perhaps maybe more intriguing than what we've gotten so far. I do like the director. And as I said earlier, Aaron Taylor Johnson certainly looks incredibly hot in this movie, but I just, I, I struggle to see how, how this is going to work where the previous three that they've attempted didn't. So I'll see it, but I'm not particularly excited for it. I, I feel like I'm on the exact same page as you, as far as where I stand with the, whatever they called it, the Sony verse, uh, versus what they're offering here. I don't expect this to be great at the same time. It's doing the most to convince me it could be potentially good based on the fact that, yes, it has a strong cast with Johnson and DeVos and Crow and Alessandro Nivola, who I think is generally pretty great in things. Uh, it has J.C. Chandor, a director I really like. It's aiming for an R rating, not something that necessarily wins me over, but it's like, well, that's a choice. All of those aspects are like, okay, like, we'll see. Let's see what they got out of this. But yeah, the idea that Craven the Hunter, a character that hunts Spider-Man, is not going to be hunting Spider-Man <laughs> in the movie. We'll see what happens. Is, I, is the plan to eventually have these characters yeah, fight Spider-Man? Oh, they're going to do a sinister... Yeah, that's money on the table. Who, that's, that's who money. do we root for in that? Wait, is Morbius like, coming back then? He teamed up with Michael Keaton last time. Well, of course he is. He drove... He, 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 how we get film... Vulture back? Okay. Mark, I don't know if you recall this, but Morbius, he flew out of New York using Morbin powers, and then weeks later, uh, wearing what I assume was some kind of like different hair extensions because it was filmed way after this, he drove in some car to the desert to meet up with Michael Keaton, only seen in CG form, so they could talk about how they have to go after Spider-Man. <laughs> like, it, it made complete sense. I don't know how you missed that. I, <laughs> I don't like hating on movies, Aaron, but that movie, I watched it, and I just went, this isn't a movie. I... I... <laughs> I was like, this isn't, it, it immediately left my brain. And I was so happy that that lady was in, what, Andor? 
after after this i'm like good you escaped morbin time (laughs) i I mean it's not a movie i don't know it's it's an odd one for me i mean they haven't announced what spider-man 4 is going to be but i'll be very curious if that's just what this is they're saying morbin time movie that they're they're clearly going for i mean they're you don't make all these villain movies to not do a big old team up thing at some point uh and they're just double down aaron they're still making madam madam webs next right they're making madam web after like they're filmed they filmed it like it's done (laughs) that's the next one of these so dakota johnson yeah and whoever plays (laughs) madam web like um or is she madam web i forget i don't care enough we'll figure that out when we get there um isn't it i think sorry Sydney Sweeney is apparently in Madam Web. Okay. Emma Roberts. Yeah. Is Adam Scott. The webbiest of them all. Tom Hardy, Michelle Williams, Jared. Le- I, they're pulling names for these things. I like that there's I mean, this that's, weird universe. That's that, not new for superhero movie. Look at all the superhero movies. I, it's <laughs> such an odd corner, though, with Venom and Morbin and craven yes, yes and, it is an odd corner. Like, and, like, and then like Venom movies make like 800 mil. And you're. I guess it's no, it's not punk rock. No, it's far from that. It's like a punk. It's just it's, <laughs> it's it's a craven enterprise. That's what it is, oh. and they're actually making a craven. <laughs> this is crazy. Craven the Hunter opened oh. the theaters October sixth, so be there or get your no. neck bitten out to some degree by Craven the Hunter. I mean, you might get powers. I, I don't. If he know bites what you. Do you get powers? I don't know. I don't know what happens anymore. I don't. If if Oscar Isaac. As Miguel, or just as Oscar Isaac bites you in the neck, I'm not sure what happens there. It seems like he sucks your plasma out, but then that seems like a Morbius thing. I don't know what's going on with Spider Verse and people biting people's necks these days. There seems to be a lot of that, though. Don't do it. Just don't. That's a better idea. Just don't bite people's necks out. That's the message of this week's episode. If we had titles for this episode, it'd be Indiana Jones: The Dial of Destiny: Colon Don't Bite Necks Out. Okay, let's move on now. Let's get to our main review for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. I'm retiring. Well, in that case, what are we drinking? Same for the goddaughter. Dad told me you found something on a train during the war. A dial that could change the course of history. Why are you chasing the thing that drove your father crazy? Don't move. We need to get out of here. Stop! Sorry. Helena! Dr. Jones, get him. Okay, that should have been some of the trailer for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. It's been 15 years since our last adventure with Indiana Jones, and while the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was well-reviewed at the time and made $800 million, it's not a film with the strongest reputation. So, here we are now, and the triumvirate that was once Spielberg, Lucas, and Ford is down to one. It's Harrison Ford. With that in mind, James Mangold has stepped in to direct the 80-year-old star, and this time around, Indy is feeling his age. Set in 1969, days after the moon landing, Professor Henry Jones Jr. is ready to retire, but his goddaughter, Helena Shaw, pulls him into one more adventure involving an old Nazi and the Dial of Archimedes. Indy is not in the best of shape, but perhaps one more trip around the globe will help him set things straight. Maxwell, I want to know if you feel this latest Indiana Jones adventure was a good one, and if it lives up to the legacy that began with 1981's Raiders of the Lost Ark. I did think it's a good one, actually. Um... I found it really solid and enjoyable. I particularly was taken with its approach to portraying an aging, iconic character, right? I think often in Hollywood, we see both actors and studios and filmmakers 
try to hide how old certain actors are or try to have our beloved characters still be flawless, perfect heroes. And I think Lucasfilm, more so than any other studio, because if you look at, say, Luke in The Last Jedi, and then you look at Indiana Jones here, they're doing an interesting job of being like, look, our heroes are not young anymore. They're not perfect humans. They're flawed. And I think this film's exploration of that is interesting. It's also a pretty enjoyable pulp adventure movie. Um, any movie that, uh, as a Jew, has ample Nazi punching gets at least another star to star and a half in my book. And this hits that target right down the middle. Um, I thought the action was solid. I thought Phoebe Waller-Bridge was fantastic and charming and a good foil, antagonist, partner, what, choose your word. She she sort of hits all the beats. Um, and I think it's one of Ford's better performances in a long time, particularly towards the end of the movie without spoiling anything. I think he gets a lot of really graceful, emotional notes to play. And I think he nails it. And it it sort of ties a really nice bow on this character. All right. Jay, I want to jump to you. We, we ran out of dinosaur movies, so we decided to bring you in for a Spielberg-adjacent film this time around. What did you think of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny? I really liked it too. I want to echo everything Maxwell said. I, I don't think there's a bad film in this franchise. I think King of the Crystal Skull has its flaws. Uh, and I also think uh, Temple of Doom it is like third place for me. Uh, with a big gap between that and the other two. I'm not sure where this one sits in that ranking. We will get to that later. But I, I had a great time with this. I had a, 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 a fun old time. I liked that Indy is uh, an old guy. I well, well, saying that, I didn't like that. I Have you seen Airport 77? Yes. In, Air, yeah. in, Airport, in Airport 77, Jimmy Stewart... Oh, I'm sorry, my dogs are barking. My feet hurt, too. Okay. It, <laughs> in Airport 77, Jimmy Stewart gets off of a helicopter. That is an image it doesn't make sense in my head as to jimmy stewart being on a helicopter those two things shouldn't exist in the same existence so harrison ford sorry indiana jones watching a television is the same thing as jimmy stewart getting off of a helicopter it just doesn't it took me a while to like wait hang on i can't what is this doesn't make any sense he should be in a cave but once i'd like spent 20 minutes getting my head around that beyond that i loved the film it was great I, I, there's lots of great action set pieces. I, I, I went in seeing no trailers. I didn't know anyone who was coming back. I knew huh. Harrison Ford, I knew Phoebe Bridge, and I knew Mads Mikkelsen. Beyond that, I didn't know. So seeing a couple of the, the returning characters, great. I wasn't expecting to see more. I didn't come back, um, uh, which is a little disappointing, but I had, I had a lot of fun with it. It's, it's some phenomenal action sequences. It's a great film. All right. Mark, let me jump to you. Where are you with uh, Indiana Jones? I'm not going to spoil the ending, but I will say that when I think about it, it just puts a big smile on my face. Like I left the theater feeling very satisfied. Like I'm a, I'm a big Phoebe Waller-Bridge fan. I love Fleabag. I think it features the best punch of 2023 for sure. Oh. This movie does. And I also, uh, like Maxwell said about the Nazi punching, I'm a big fan of trebuchets and there's a trebuchet in this movie. So it gets an, <laughs> so it gets an automatic B plus. And it just... You know, I, I like the beginning a lot. The D, the de-aging did not bother me. I, I really liked the tone. I had a lot of fun with it. I could listen to Mads Mikkelsen talk about his time at the University of Alabama for days. It's it's just, it's a romp. It's a good time. Like Mangold knows what he's doing. This is a director who, who you, you watch his movies. And he knows, he just, once again, he knows what he's doing. He's a very good director. And I think... The, the like the ending like just what Harrison Ford put into it he was not phoning it in I think he really enjoyed it I do think the movie lagged a little bit in the middle for me but it started strong ended strong 
and uh, yeah, and whoever built those tuk tuks, they they need a raise because <laughs> that's a tank. Like I was watching that thing, I'm like, man, they don't make them like they used to. Uh, so yeah, that sounded very Mitch Hedberg. But yeah, I <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just I'm a big fan of the movie. It's fun. Like whenever I I don't often think about it. It's not on my mind. Like I feel like Sisu is the best Nazi punching movie of 2023. <laughs> <laughs> and I think about that movie a lot. Like I, like I, that's on my mind. Uh, but it's I when I think back of it, when I'm reminded of it, I have a big smile on my face. It's very satisfying, very satisfying. So that's where I, that's where I stand on it. Uh, as far as James Mangold's concerned, Mark, I don't know if you know this, but it needed to know the Dial of Destiny. It's secretly a western, also. But um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I uh, hey, Logan too. I want no. <laughs> and and a uh, girl interrupted. Um, I a want density. to. <laughs> Identity, especially. I mean, that's obvious. Like, you want, I'm surprised identity's not filed in the Western section when I go to the store. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to emphasize the fact that I do, I purposely try to not know what everyone thinks of the movies going in because I want it to be as fresh as possible. Um, so, like, if things happen to align, hey, they align. If they don't, whatever, um, you know, it goes either way. So, I'm saying all that because it seems like we're all going to be pretty much in the positive when it comes to Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. I will say James Mangold messed up by a very simple ranking of the series that used to be one, two, three, four, uh, but now it's unfortunately one, two, three, five, four, uh, which is um, fine. Uh, as Jay has said, I don't think there's any bad film in this series. I certainly recognize issues that I have with some of them, uh, but this newest one assuage any fears i had that it wouldn't be what it could be based on the fact that you were lacking two elements that are lucas and spielberg i obviously they have some input as spielberg especially but mangled came in and is a director i quite generally enjoy and delivers uh he does the things that i want to have happen in an indiana jones film and when i say that beyond just the things that you guys have mentioned which i agree with it's the idea that Mangold seems to be making a movie based off his love for movies in the same way that say in the same way that separates for me what Ryan Johnson does for The Last Jedi, where it's not just, hey, I like Star Wars, here's a Star Wars movie, but hey, here's thoughts on cinema. I'm gonna make a movie that references other movies and what have you, which is what Indiana Jones was to begin with, Raiders of the Lost Ark being a movie influenced by Spielberg and Lucas's love for older types of things, whether it's serials or Howard Hawks films or what have you. This film, compared to something like The Force Awakens, which is one I quite enjoy, it's not just, I'm an Indiana Jones fan, here's a movie about Indiana Jones. It's a movie that's like, hey, here's the latest Indiana Jones movie, and I'm going to reference just things I know about cinema in said film. I like that. I like that I can see that in this film, which is a costly Disney movie. You don't always get that. <laughs> you don't always get to see directors flexing their uh, their knowledge of cinema in movies of this nature, but it's here. And I'm very happy to see that because this could have just been like, hey, here's another one of these, but it's not. It feels like a proper Indiana Jones movie. Uh, the other thing, it looks good. I'm so happy it looks good. Crystal Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, uh, despite being filmed by... Academy Award winner uh, <laughs> Janusz Kaminski is a shit-looking movie. That is my main issue with Kingdom of the <laughs> I think it looks terrible. It is not what Douglas Lacombe pulls off in the first three, where it has this rough-and-tumble quality. Again, this is a costly Disney movie. It certainly has a sheen to it, but I still think it looks better uh, than the previous film. It just looks good in general. Uh, I want to talk about individual parts of this movie, and we can go into things, but yeah, on the whole... I, I'm happy that it looks like an Indiana Jones movie. It feels like an Indiana Jones movie. It has 
Indiana Jones in it being very Indiana Jones in a special kind of way. Because, yeah, I agree. The ending allows Harrison, even the, throughout the movie, I think Harrison Ford is doing well. But I do think if you're going to wrap up the series around Harrison Ford and what he's had to offer to this character, he totally seems into it in a way that made me feel things. And I was very happy about that. Yeah, uh, I think I think he's one of those actors who, especially he's gotten older, you can sort of instinctually tear, tell as an audience member if he cared about the project he was working on or not. That's like fair. there's a certain amount of energy he puts into what he cares about. And then you see other movies where it's like, oh, the dude needed to add like a new plane to his collection. So he took this role. And it was very clear to my and I think other people's enjoyment that he cared about this character and he gave it his all because he could have just taken the paycheck and slept walk through it we've seen other actors do that when they return to iconic roles when they're older but he cared and it shows I, I would argue it's because he's older and he's you know what i assume is a very wealthy man uh he can very much choose whatever he wants to do and so this year alone between this and shrinking and 1923 <laughs> yeah. dude's been yeah. fucking great like he's been yeah. he's been knocking it out of the park in my opinion so like it, it is nice to see him like caring for one thing i don't think that i mean yes there's movies that are lesser than but i you know Fire harrison ford is such a giant ball of charisma it's hard to be like oh this is the bad ford performance but like yeah obviously there's something more here but i like that this applies to all of his legacy roles that he's taken whether it's han solo or deckard or this i feel like each of those performances is very good in those movies regardless of the movies yeah. themselves and i like all of those movies but i think he's been pretty consistently great about revisiting characters and if anything, doing the best job he's done with those characters, at least from an acting standpoint. Obviously, like, you know, he's younger and Raiders or what, where he can move around and do things more. But uh, I, I want, okay, so I want to talk about parts of this movie and I want to start off with the move, the way this movie starts, because obviously we have this extended prologue that's like 20 minutes where you have a de-aged Indiana Jones in 1944, like the end of World War II, and it's a big old train action sequence. And obviously, yes, there's a de-aging factor. Mark, you're saying that didn't bother you. Uh, I would agree as far as I feel like this is one of the better versions of that I've seen. Mm -hmm. But how do you guys feel? Jay, Maxwell, what do you think about this whole sequence at the at the beginning here? Uh, the aging didn't bother me either. I thought it looked like seamless. I, I saw it, it goes, oh, that was great. And then I just forgot that it was de-aged. I was just like, oh, they, they filmed this 20 years ago. I don't know, it just looks well, 30, whenever. Uh, I just thought it looked fantastic. And I, I, I love a good train chase. Good like fight on a train is always a lot of fun. And the motorbike. I think there was... A bit more CGI in this than in previous indie films, I think. Uh, but it didn't bother me too much at the time. I just had a a fun time with it. And like, you know, he, he's there's too many Nazis on the train. I like that he doesn't want to fight them all. He's like, because he can't. He's he's he he knows his <laughs> limits. But he still manages to punch Mads Mikkelsen in the face with his hat. It's I just had a lot of fun with this film. Is it, I'm going to be a bit of a broken record today because I, I love Indiana Jones movies and I love this film. So. Max, do you have any thoughts on the the de aging aspect of the? Yeah, I, I agree. It didn't, I mean, there are certain shots that look less good as others, but I think because the sequence itself is so fun and well-constructed in the like grand legacy of train chases and adventure cinema, that at a certain point, any potential uncanny valley-ness that could be there, it just leaves your mind because the scene is good and Ford is still doing a good job. It doesn't look perfect, but it is, it does look really good. And it is some of the more convincing de-aging. It doesn't look rubbery like some of them have looked like, you know, Jeff Bridges and Ron Legacy. Um, 
yeah, it doesn't bother me. It worked. Um, and it's interesting because I was reading originally it was conceived to be a much shorter scene and then Mangled was like, let's just make it a whole prologue, which I think shows that they went for it. And they're like, listen, we're going to de-age him. We're going to make this scene and you're going to enjoy it. And I did. Yeah. I, having I, Toby Jones. So having like Toby Jones in the in the Marcus role. He, he's an actor who seems tailor-made to be. A Dan type. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it was almost like, yeah. wait, he hasn't been in an Indiana Jones <laughs> movie before? Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, he he is in every film, it seems. So he's always playing, <laughs> always like different characters. Just like but, Ant-Man. Ant-Man's I, in all movies. He just, yes, you, exactly. you rarely see him, but yeah. He's there. And, and uh, Jax, he's always there, standing still. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I love Toby Jones. I love that he's he seems like a kind of guy who would have difficulty climbing up and running along a train. And they, they, they make him have difficulty climbing up and running across the top of a train. <laughs> it's not just capable. He's, this is difficult for him. It is a longer sequence, as you, as you noted. And yeah, I did wonder that, too, if there's a version of this where this could be like, you know, brief like five minutes but it's like no i i like i appreciate that because that mark i agree with you that the movie is long i do feel like there's a bit of a lull in places but i do think the idea of let's go big or go home with this entire prologue that is that's fun to me that's a fun ambitious move to be like hey we have the we have disney money let's spend it <laughs> and like they and they go for it yeah. and, and deliver a sequence that has like i think the most nazi kills per second that i've seen since sisu so i mean it has that as well so i it, like, i agree with what you just said resonated it definitely feels to me like mangold and the team were like listen if disney's gonna give us this money let's spend it well that's the thing with right because there, there are some movies that have like two three hundred million dollar budget and you watch and you're like where did the money go? And that is not the case in this movie at all. I, I agree with you. And that's the thing with Indiana Jones to be like, as much as the the first three films, at least in the Raiders especially feels gritty as far as it's really kind of in the earth and you're, you're seeing all the dirt on the screen. They are movies that benefit that like they operate on the idea of let's make an adventure movie. That would be like a B serial, but let's use the greatest and latest special effects of the time. And yeah, in Raiders and Temple of Doom and Crusade and even Crystal Skull, they all look like movies that are using what was afforded to them in 81, 84, 89, 08. Like, what would be the best version of special effects they had available to them? Those feel apparent in those movies. I feel like that's what we're doing here once again as well. De-aging is a huge thing as far as visual effects are concerned, especially for ILM, it seems like. That seems to be like one of their big things they want to keep trying to perfect. I don't know why you wouldn't use that. That's the latest and greatest thing, which fits the pattern of Indiana Jones movie. We'll talk about more things that fit the patterns of Indiana Jones movies as we go through. But that is the that is an aspect that I appreciate. It's like mainly because it looked good. Like if, again, my issue with Crystal Skull is it doesn't look very good. <laughs> like uh, you know, it's 2008. I get you're going to use more CG. You're going there was no CG in 89. You're going to use CG in in an Indiana Jones movie at that point. But it's like it's not looking great. It's not looking great. It's hard. It, it shows. Uh, but here, I yeah, I agree. I think it did a good job. What what got me real quick about the intro is is that like the energy's there. Like I feel yeah. like it could have felt very artificial. Like, hey, we're trying to replicate a very specific type of energy. And the beginning, I felt. I mean, you're never going to capture like I don't you know, I'm going to bring it up like Raiders of the Lost Ark, like the or the Temple like what um, Temple of Doom. Like you, it's really hard to recreate those. But this felt very organic. And it felt very fun in a in a Indiana Jones style without feeling like mimicry. Like it wasn't sure. It, it and that's tough to do. 
Like I, I really think uh, yeah, there's hard. there's decades of adventure movies that have knocked off Indiana Jones that have tried to show you how hard mm-hmm. it is to do. Yeah, I, I I think both the prologue scene and then the scene at the auction where a okay. certain item keeps exchanging hands in a sort of madcap way. It's very playful. Those two scenes really have the playful Indiana Jones energy that, as you were saying, Aaron, a lot of other adventure movies try and don't achieve. And it's sort of one of those things where this movie almost makes it look easy. And so then you lose sight of how hard it is to pull it off in a way that feels organic. Mm-hmm. And those were the two scenes to me where I was like, oh, this is a really good Indiana Jones movie. They mangled, got the assignment. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about Indiana a bit more and the cast in general. I, I think we all seem to agree that Harrison Ford is doing the job here. I will add, I appreciate it, and you brought this up, one of you brought this up as far as his age goes. I like that the movie goes out of its way to not place Indiana Jones in situations that an octogenarian uh, would not easily be able to handle. Uh, there are certainly action sequences involving Indiana Jones, but I don't given the fact this movie's already heightened to begin with, I still think there's a conscious effort to avoid him doing things that are beyond his might at the age that he's at. Yeah. And when he's on that side of the cave and he's talking about his knees and back and hand and (laughs) being shot, like that's just such a highlight of, I had the biggest smile on my face just with him just stuck there. (laughs) just. Like he's still like for an 80 year old, like, like you said, when during the press conference, he's like, I've just been born, born with my body. But yeah, so he's still in great shape for that age. But it's fun seeing him kind of stuck on the side of a cave and complaining about his knees. Like, it, it, but it just felt good to me. I dug it. I like that scene a lot. Without leaning on it too. Like it's not yeah. like it's you know, everyone wants to oh, joke about yeah. like oh, doing another one of these. He's so old. But like the movie's addressing his age without being like this is a this is a constant punchline. Let's let's use this as the only way to do it. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no I'm too old for this shit again and again and again. It's just. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's doing what he can. I, like when he's trying to uh, uh, evade some, some bad guys in the archives, he just sort of puts a ladder in the way. Yeah, that's he's not like fighting them. He's like just kind of <laughs> move an obstacle. That's, that's what he can do. He's eighty and destroys a lot of artifacts just yeah. to get a out lot. of there. It's just shelves. <laughs> <laughs> you pick up shelves, you put them back. It's all right there. Uh, what? Well, okay, so for for the side, we have other characters. Obviously, we have so we have Fever Waller Bridge. <laughs> Um, I believe Maxwell, you you made mention of of how well utilized she was in this. But what do you guys think of of, of Bridge in this movie as the, the kind of foil to Indy? She's great. I, 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 that's a stock answer, but I think she really blend. I, I think sometimes when you just add a character that you're already supposed to know into a, a much beloved franchise and have them share screen time, as it feels like you know, like Lost season two gets it horribly wrong. But this this movie, like she fits. I mean, it's a she's a writer director producer like very talented person so i think they just knew how to introduce her and how to in, like put her into the plot without feeling like a like shoehorned in i guess like hey here's this new person that's very important like she just works like i like the vibe of her and like especially the progression which we're not getting to but like i loved like where she was later on in the movie mm-hmm. like i i was like man just give me more of that like it, i really I know, it's, uh, it's once again, it, it's really hard to do, but I, I, I dug that she fit in there and, and yeah, it was a great puncher. It makes me happy. And introducing her as, as like a seemingly friendly, like family member, essentially from Indy's past, you, you think, oh, she's going to be like, 
his ally from the start, but having her like that's not the case for uh, initially. I mean, not to reveal where the characters go, but they're, they're at odds often. They're not they're not necessarily on the same side, and so it was it was uh, entertaining watching everyone deal with that and argue the way through various action sequences. Yeah, and, and I think um, you know the way that her character is used, tying in with what we were just discussing with Harrison and Indiana's age, making her almost have some of the more actiony beats was really fun because because BB nails the physicality. She looks great doing it, even though she is kind of a goofy person. Like fully believe her as Toby Jones's daughter. Like that's such smart casting. Like they have similar, very you know. Uh, fun British style faces and it just it works right like compared to some of the other companions Indiana Jones have had who are very much sidekicks I would argue she's more of a co-lead but it works there's the the history there that is believable and I think her character growth throughout the film worked where she starts what we find out about her where she ends up it it, it is an arc that the writing and the character the actress do justice to what do you mean by fun British style faces I knew you were going to say something. No, they just, I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I, know, I know exactly what you mean. I do not have time for an anthropology lesson right now. <laughs> what about uh, Mads as our villain? Or our main villain, oh, at least. I mean, he's never been bad in anything. More Mads all the time. He's, like, excellent there. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to have a, an actor working today play a Nazi, Mads is, like, the perfect choice. You know, I, character obviously inspired by Werner von Braun, and yeah, Mad Mads is is perfectly solid. He's creepy. He's evil. He has the look. I don't know if he has the best material to work with in terms of, you know, villainry, but he does the job. I can agree <laughs> on that last point because I I feel the way he's introduced. Well, he because he's he's introduced as someone that certainly seems genuinely interested in stuff in the way that an archaeologist would be except he has other purposes for it which is like okay that's a choice and that doesn't necessarily just like that belloc is the same way to some degree i i and then like when you get to 69 and he's basically berating the black waiter that's bringing him food in a way where it's like oh you're just a nazi like okay cool let's see where that goes and I, I don't think it really does anything else with him from that point beyond just showing him still being a threat to Indy based off his desires, which is fine. I Because Mads, like you said, Jay, Mads is Mads. Like, he's doing, he's going to do the job regardless. I do think there's room for, like, more personality, I guess, that could have come through as far as who this guy is and what he's going for. But, like, again, he's also a Nazi. It's like, how much do I really need? <laughs> like, so it's, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't rank him as, like, my best on the indie villain list, but he's certainly effective in what he gets to do yeah outside of belloc these films aren't about the villain that's very true yeah you've you've got enough charisma and like interesting characters on your hero side and the psychics that they bring along the villains just need to be villainous it's pretty two-dimensional when it comes to the or one-dimensional when it comes to villains yeah and you just need a bad guy to punch and (laughs) to to reiterate if if your villain is going to be a nazi you can make them as one-dimensional as you want as far as i'm concerned i'm sold Punch as long as you punch the- him, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Mark, do you have any thoughts to add on that? No, I, yeah, I mean, it, I, I like the smaller scale of a lot of the action films, so it's basically just him chasing or being chased by Indy. So you kind of, yeah, it's just sort of them trying to get one step ahead of each other, which I, I like the smaller scale of. But yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'm going to remember the character's name 
Actually, I don't know what the character's name is. It Voller. He has two Voller. names because he, yeah, he right. pretends to be what's his face, uh, or he pretends he has he gives himself like a fake name for um, Schmidt? University of Schmidt. Alabama. Yeah, Schmidt. Schmidt. Yeah. I, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess what Jay said. I mean, you don't really think about the villains in these movies, and uh, he just gets the job done. They got to go from A to B to C, and you like the guy at A, B, and C, and it's more about sort of indie. So yeah, I mean, I think he's a good foil, but never threatening or he's more of like a just a one-dimensional plot device who gets punched in the face so yeah it's, it's good well speaking of punch in the face like boyd hallbrook is like the main heavy in this film yeah. and like his existence is only to either shoot people or get punched in the face <laughs> by indy like that's the only thing he does in this movie i'm not against it but it is funny that like this guy who you know he's a mercenary that murders people essentially but anytime he interacts with harrison ford in this movie he's getting punched in the face like that's the only thing that happens to him just kind of funny. he fails a lot and he never gets shot which is refreshing for a movie i feel like most henchmen when they fail this much they just get shot by the big boss you get so that kinda... and you get the big guy oliver richters who's like i think what like a dutch bodybuilder or something like that like he's big he's a big guy he's got a lot there of he is. yeah we can't talk you're, about you're... something yet can we because are we saving that for spoilers I, I mean, we can get the spoilers. We get the spoilers, but okay. Like, I want to put, I put a pin in your point that you want to make. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, but they're fun. Like I like character actor Boyd Holbrook now. Like, I think Predators was, I don't know. I guess he that was kind of his bit at being a, a like a leading man, and now he's popping up in The Sandman, which I thought he was really good in. Vengeance, he had a good role. Like Dial of Destiny, like I think he's starting to embrace the character actor Boyd Holbrook, and I think that's going to be yeah, good for him. I, I think he has like an innate creepy charisma to him that mangled used in this and logan uh -huh. um and i think that works like you don't need him to open his mouth to see him in the mustache and you're like oh that guy's gonna be a problem for our hero and i mean he's working with nazis so it's like yeah all right i get it <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> I will say, speaking of villains, as I mentioned, I'm watching Godzilla versus Destroy in the background, and Destroy is fucking up Godzilla right now. Like it's insane. Like, it's, 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 I got money on Godzilla coming this, back. This is a lot to handle. Like this is the concluding entry in the Haishi series, uh, but it's uh, Godzilla. It's going to take a lot for it to get over this. Anyway, um, as far as these other characters go, anyone else? I mean, like Antonio Banderas appears in this film for like a short bit. Yeah, that's odd. Yeah, that that man has a prime position on the poster, considering. How long he's in the movie? At even at first, I was like, "Wait, is that Antonio Banderas or just a guy who looks a lot like him?" Because this is barely a part. I I will yeah. I, I will say this because I obviously yes, it's not a, a large role; it's more of a cameo, which even he kind of described himself as being one. What I like about this, beyond the fact that it's Antonio Banderas and like Matt Nicholson, I think he's just generally great in things. I like that when the character is no longer in the film, we get a chance to reflect on why, and I, I appreciated that beat as opposed to just kind of walking over the fact that we had a person that we don't have a person. And I think by having Antonio Banderas, because of the character actor, because he's an actor that we bring things to because he's just a rat, like we have, we know him from movies. I think that's more effective than if we had someone that wasn't played by, you know, a major actor and why that would mean something when he's no longer a part of the film. Well, when, when Indy says, I know someone with a boat, uh -huh. I was like, oh, George Harris, Katanga's going to be in this. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been really I was, I was so disappointed, but it wasn't. Could, could have been a, it's gonna happen. like it, it, it would have been too much like wink wink nostalgia, but could have had like short round in that role too. Yeah. If they really, really yeah. wanted to make this like we're bringing them all back, sort of the fast five of the Indiana Jones franchise, but or like give uh, oh. uh Jock's back, he's got a boat now instead of a plane. Fred Sorensen gets a 
second acting score. credit was his score. career. <laughs> Wait, right, so all the Indiana people, they have they all team up. They go to Argentina to do a, a major bank heist, and there's a bunch of Nazis there. Yeah. And then they battle them and uh, run away with a mythical... Wait a minute. George Dodge Charger. George Harris, who plays Katanga, he's that Kingsley Shacklebot from... Uh, Kingsley Shacklebot, yeah. From, he, is um, he the one that's like, Dumbledore still got style? Is he that guy? Yes, that's exactly. Yes, yes, yes. Oh my god, I never knew this. <laughs> I mean, he's I've not acted for a once. few years now. I've seen so. that movie once, but that line sticks out to me all the time. <laughs> Yeah, he, I don't think he's still acting these days, so that could be a reason uh, yeah, why I he's not in it. Yeah, it's still that's very uh, really amusing to me. <laughs> I just, he's like, I know someone with a boat, and it's like, there's been one person with a boat, and he's all, all these films. It's good, it's gonna be Katanga, and then it's oh, oh damn, it's, it's Indy's got friends all over. Yeah, he's, he's got friends all over. I like, you know, it would just get ever actor they could. I, I am like the Kiu Kwan idea, as far as him being, I, I do. Th- I don't think anyone would be against the idea of seeing short round back in an Indiana Jones movie, let alone a I was series or whatever. I do think it would make the film seem a little too cute for its own good. I feel like I, I agree. I, I do agree with that. Like, it, like, is it great to see them on the red carpet together? Fucking yeah, it is. Of course it is. It's wonderful. It's great. But any, honestly, anything Kate Kuquan's doing these days is wonderful. He's just, he's so excited and happy. But like, I do think that like, as much as we like this movie, I don't know if we'd like it more because Short Round would be involved in it. I, I hate saying that. It's, like, it's weird. It's like saying that a lot. But it does feel like I think that might be like one step too far for what the movie's trying to offer you. Which well, there, is- there's always that line in nostalgia-driven movies especially legacy sequels where you could go just a little too far in like playing the nostalgia strings of the audience right and i think to this movie's credit it's on the right side of that line versus like jurassic world dominion which was like so far on the other side of that line and is like an example of what this movie could have been had they gone in the wrong way hey it's the alligator from temple of doom or crocodile (laughs) like wait what well, see, I like that he's like, I, I was forced to drink the blood of Kali. And it's like, yeah, that's, that, that, it is fun to acknowledge the fact that he did have to drink the blood of Kali at what, like, that's, that's he's from the Holy Grail. <laughs> I like that he referenced that one as opposed to like the way out there things. Like, yeah, I saw the power of God kill a bunch of Nazis on a mountain once. Like, it was pretty wild. I've, it's like, I'm, I'm pretty sure these I made interdimensional contact, beings. Pretty sure I made contact with aliens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fuck Buzz Aldrin. I saw aliens. <laughs> <laughs> and and he's quite like he's quite dismissive of a lot of the magic in this movie though is he not in the beginning well, is he, he I, I he mean he yeah. I, I feel he seems like a person that is very willing to be like hey I seen some stuff but I'm still rooted in math and so, like much like Matt Nicholson's character is it's like he he's a he is a professor and a scientist like he understands like things work a certain way because of the logic he knows how to apply to them however there are some things you just can't explain he's 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 natalie portman and thor he's he's looking at like things where there's magic and science and somehow they exist together in ways he doesn't understand well i mean at what point proving it yeah they're the line proving it is what makes it science Mm -hmm. so i feel like the things he's seen he can't prove he saw them they happened but he can't there's no like, yeah, he can't. There's there's no formula he could write that like yeah. magically explains that. He just has to like, I'm just going with this because that happened. Which yeah. brings us We're to the plot. Again. Let's talk. Let's talk about like the actual like overriding plot a bit. Like, did you guys enjoy the the use of uh of the the dial of Archimedes as the 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 MacGuffin this time around and like what the what that entailed? 
Yeah. Yes. It's based on some real life lore or not lore, something that existed. Uh, of course, they've they've moved it like, you know, it's been Indiana Jonesified. But no, I dug it. Like I, I, as far as a, a MacGuffin, like having just watched Mission Impossible Fallout where they say plutonium 7000 times. I, I'm just I was so tired of plutonium and rabbit's tails. That was just nice to have. Oh, well, let's see you see this new one. Oh, great. It's, like... <laughs> it's a nuclear rabbit foot. Also, another movie I just watched that says plutonium a lot. I don't even remember what it is. Dark Knight Rises, maybe? Exactly. Yeah, we should, we should be it's... talking more about quant- anything involving the word quantum in those yeah. movies, because that's a word that gets tossed around a lot. So much. But yeah, it's just nice to have this thing steeped in sort of math and looking for the... I, I, listen, anytime you have half of something, I'm down. Like, listen, <laughs> we have half I agree. Now we got to go get the other half. And I'm like, yes, I don't care where I... you go. Let's go. I completely agree. I, it's such a simple but like charming and fun plot device. Like we got to find the other pieces to put it all together and see what happens. I'm like, yeah, where are we going? Let's find it. I'm in. Let's, get, let's go fight some eels. That looks like snakes. And without spoiling anything, I think what the device ends up being able to do is perfectly in line with this series, this lore. It makes yeah. so much sense to me. Arguably maybe more than couple of the other ones this is like oh yeah this is what an ancient relic that these characters would be interested in could and should do i i want to talk about this i'm not we're not going to talk about this in full at any means because i it's still a little early um and abe and abe's gonna abe Abe and i are gonna do a bonus episode talking about indie so he can get his thoughts in and i feel like that's an area where we can be more spoiler happy as far as what transpires but i will say max like movie grew with you um, I love the third act of this film. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah so much. It, I, I think too. it's awesome in yes. all the ways I want it to be. Um, and uh, it it follows once again what I want from an Indiana Jones movie, where yes, there is a good buildup as far as here's a guy who exists in the world we know and is doing things that are plausible to some degree, but obviously heightened for the purposes of an adventure film. And then a third act kicks in that's like, so what's that thing we've been looking for? Do here's what it does, and. It's entire again. I think it's so fitting of where Indy is as a person of his age, where you have these forties, fifties, or thirties, forties serials that justify what Raiders is doing and what Temple of Doom is doing, and even Last Crusade, as far as the kinds of artifacts you'd be looking for. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. The issue of that movie I have is not with the plot. It's like, yeah, he's been literally ushered into the nuclear space age via refrigerator. Why would he not be dealing with bombs and aliens? That makes plenty of sense to me. And now he's at the end of the 60s and the 70s. And I feel like the choice they make for what that means for that kind of character. Yeah, this is what I would want to see from this kind of thing. The second they mention the potential of what the dial can do, I'm like, is this going where I think it's going? That was my thought like two hours before it happened. And it's like, it does the thing. And I'm like, yes, okay, let's let's go with all this. And once again, much like we talked about the prologue, James Mangold's like, we have Disney money. <laughs> let's, let's, let's really yes. go for it, guys. Yeah. Let's spend yeah, a and, long time with this. <laughs> and that's what I wanted to say also to that and what you were saying earlier, like that third act, it looks great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks really, yeah. really cool. Like there are shots when they're in the plane and they're looking down below and what they're seeing. I'm like, oh, the scale of this—that's impressive. I dig it a lot. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not spoiling anything, but this movie definitely features the best sleeping Italian man of 2023. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's like my, that I, I have the biggest smile on my face i'm not gonna say anything more but that, what if uh, yeah see i got a big old smile that's what this movie does to me it just puts a big smile on my face it does, it does the good, job i yeah I, I really i was so tobacco i saw this movie with my dad we saw it on the disney lot so it's a pretty like nice way to like see an indiana disney like I grew up watching these movies with my dad. And so like the fact that I like watching this fifth one at like a special screening for Indiana Jones, I'm not at all trying to sound braggy. I'm just more of like setting up like what the context is. It's like you've earned it, Aaron. You've earned it. It feels so special to me. Like I'm watching Indiana Jones, the, the like the last one, one of like the first people to do it with my dad. And it's like, this is so like nice. I'm so happy this is good. Like, I'm so happy that we're like enjoying like he had a blast. He really liked this movie. He thought it was great. And it's like, this is so special. Like, we're watching Indiana Jones, and it's really not, like, it's doing the thing. It feels like there's so many versions of this movie that I assume are bad based on, like, whatever screenplay drafts mm-hmm. they had or how involved certain people were or what have you. And the fact that James Mangold was able to step in for Spielberg, a thing that seems ridiculous when you just say that on its own. It's like, hey, you pulled it off. He made a Medina Jones movie that has like all this action, all this crazy stuff going on. And it's like big and weird at the while being a super costly Disney movie. Like, good for him. I'm also curious to know how much impact uh, Jez Butterworth had on the script because he is one of my favorite playwrights. Hmm. And I also think he has carved out a pretty interesting career now as a screenwriter he wrote on edge of tomorrow and ford versus ferrari and now this mm-hmm. a couple other ones not as good but the films that he's writing and the plays that he's written have nothing in common he's like this weird idiosyncratic playwright and then he's doing all these like big budget movies and it's such an interesting juxtaposition but i, I felt some of his influence in certain things in this movie for sure i i know a couple of things uh, towards the end that were all his idea and then they also came up with the the ending as well so like uh, when i read some uh, interviews and mangold said that he was very important for this film Mm. so yeah definitely and like also ford vs ferrari when that came out i had to go read about jez butterworth because i know the movie was nominated for best picture it made 300 million it's an imdb top 250 and it has over a 90 percent tomato meter score but i feel like it's still underrated like it's a really good movie and so I, i wanted to read about how he was able to really write that script and i think you're right like he I think he played a big role in it because you, you, I don't know. That, that's all I got to say. Four V Ferrari right now. No, is, but it's an FX movie classic. Like every time I turn <laughs> on FX, if it's like, yeah. dinner, if it's like dinner time and it's like, Oh, Ford versus Ferrari. All right. <laughs> it's well, and I, and I, I think Ford versus Ferrari is the movie that is most emblematic of what James Mangold does. And I think you'll understand what I mean when I say this, James Mangold makes movies. Sure. Right. Yeah. He yeah. just like makes movies in the classic sense of what a movie can be. Um, and I think he brings that to Indiana Jones. Like when they announced that, that it was going to be Mangled and that's Spielberg, I was like, oh, that 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 makes perfect sense. This dude makes movies in the classic sense of movies. Like he's not, you know, an artist like Darren Aronofsky or Paul Thomas Anderson. He makes movies. And there aren't as many guys out there who can do that well. There's a lot who try to do it. But Mangled usually succeeds at making movies in the classic sense of the word. Yeah, no, I could agree with that. I would say, like, if him or, like, if, like, Martin Campbell was announced who made Zorro, like, that's another one. Oh, yeah, like, oh, that yeah. Ab- absolutely would have been an interesting, fun choice. Or yeah. even... Uh, Rennie Harlan. Oh Stephen Summers. Stephen Summers, I mean, if they got... Uh, 
He's still or, in direct uh, jail. Joe Johnston. Joe Johnston, yeah. And oh, Indiana yeah. Jones could have worked too. Did he direct he any like the did Joe Johnston direct any like the young Indiana Jones episodes? Like I that? think he might have. That sounds definitely like it seems like that would that make sense. Happened. But but not back. So I, I I hear what you're saying. That's what I'm saying too. Like I, I those are guys that like make movies. I get I get what yeah, you're he, emphasizing there when you say that. And it makes sense <laughs> as far as this goes. And yeah, James Mangold. He, he, I you understand why he would get this kind of assignment. Yeah, and okay, yeah, Joe Johnston did season two, episode six, Princeton, February nineteen sixteen of Young and Jones Chronicles, and also the Adventures of Young and Jones, Jones Spring Break Adventure. <laughs> All right, there you go. <laughs> I I had a lot of confidence in this movie though. Like I uh, between Mangold, Phoebe Waller Bridge, like she was part of what Fleabag, and she helped Killing Eve kick off. I mean, the guy who shot Biodome shot this movie, so you know it's going to look great. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, I had a lot of. Con- I was weird. I, I was never. I was never worried about it. I really wasn't. Faded Papa Michael is a very good cinematographer. <laughs> hey, have you not Biodome. watched Biodome recently? Like, uh, yes, he, he understands comedy he... with his camera play. The way he films that farting scene, I, I would have liked to have seen you know Kaminsky do that as well. He probably would have put more shadows and light on it. So yeah, like I, I he, think he's I also think shot all pretty much all of Mangold's movies, and he shot like <laughs> Sideways and Nebraska, Three Ten to Yuma, Three Ten, beautiful yeah, film, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, and Biodome. And ironically, this is forty, which followed up Funny People, which was shot by Janusz Kaminski. <laughs> so there you go. Um, Full circle. Uh, what else? <laughs> uh, we, we we talked about we like the action. Was there any like standout action sequences in this film? I'll just point out. I think the the ticker tape parade sequence, just because of how visually interesting I found that all to be, was pretty cool. So, it's such a uh, like, for lack of a better word, like cute setting for that scene. Like it just, I, I love the space. It was just really clever and and like well thought out. Specific day to have that scene take place, and the visuals of. Indiana Jones riding a horse through a parade and then on the subway. I was like, this is delightful. Well done, y'all. I, I felt I felt there was like a beat uh that was like designed from the and like worked backwards from where um Boyd Hall Brook like shoots his gun in the air and like everybody ducks except Indy and it's like all the yeah. tape. Like I that image that feels like that seems like a perfect storyboard image to like come yep. out of that. And I like, well, when he takes a horse on the subway. Yeah. <laughs> Hold my horse. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I did remember uh, having the thought watching the movie more so than maybe some of the other indie movies, and I think this is probably a reflection of his age, is the action scenes are all basically some sort of vehicular chase or a horse chase. Took- Less so punching, fighting like we've seen, just different, the tuk-tuk chase, the train in the beginning, and then the horse. It's all different chases, but they worked. They were all pretty well done. And I like that Boyd, Boyd Holbrook will kill people. Like, there's a threat in this movie. Like, those bad guys shoot a lot of people. Like, there's, there is, they do. I know Indy's not going to eat it, but you do get this sort of, there is a, a threat there. These guys are really horrifyingly, they're just killers. So I kind of like that, like that they, they what shot the two people in the beginning that worked at the school. And you're like, oh, okay. Like, they'll kill. So, I mean, I think the threat is there as well. There's, there's a, yeah, I like that about it. It's not it's not trying to be super PG. Like people get shot. So I, I yeah. like that bit about um, the action. Okay. We we haven't talked about the kid yet, Teddy. I like that he will kill a bad <laughs> yeah. guy too. Yeah, <laughs> <he's> like, <laughs> I, I I like Teddy actually. In in the realm of like kids that get thrown into action and adventure movies, he was not annoying at all. 
I did think he's used just enough. And I also like that he's set up from the get go as far as things he's able to do later. He's introduced yes. learning how to do those things. So it's like the yeah. movie's not sidelining his abilities. It's putting it right out in the open. In the same way, I think a lot of this movie puts itself right out in the open as far as what it's going to do. There is a lot of hints throughout mm-hmm. the movie as far as where that third act is going. It doesn't just kind of come out of nowhere. So it's like the the homework is done here. But Jay, did you have anything else to add to the action as far as that goes? I mean, we, we've mentioned the Tuk Tuk here and there, but the Tuk Tuk chase is for me the, the highlight of the film. Just okay. there's, there's so much go, so much going on. They're being they're chasing some, one group of characters, and then there's a, a third group that ends up chasing them. So that's you get the kind of it got caught in the middle of these two pursuing and well, pursuing. And, and... and I think the tuck tuck chase was a fun riff on what we've seen in like Ronin or Born, where you have a smaller car vehicle going through narrow streets, but while being chased by a bigger car that maybe can't fit through some of the, it was like very much in a traditional action mold, but by making it a tuck tuck was really fun. A well built tuck tuck. Yes. And like jumping from one to the other, like mid. Like mm-hmm. Chase is like, okay, I don't think you can do this before. Uh, well, <laughs> it's a movie. It's okay. I, I, if there's er- areas where I just felt were just not that great for the film, the, the one thing that like kept sticking out to me is I, I feel like the CIA aspect of it felt like undercooked. Like, I feel like that. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. threw in a character for I don't even know why. Like, I don't know what the goal was with that plot line, given that it feels like a non starter ultimately. I actually forgot I, about yeah, that until that, you brought it up. <laughs> I do like that actress. I, I she was on the TV show The Resident, um, and I was happy to see her, but it it sort of like floundered a little and then was just put to the side. Jed? Yeah, I was I was saying the same thing that like she wasn't around long enough to make I, I liked her and then she wasn't there anymore. It's, it's like this exercise that plot point. It's a two and a half hour movie, and I'm like, what are we doing with this aspect of the story? Like it just didn't really it's a lot of shoe leather to be like, this is why I, Mads Mikkelsen's doing things. And I'm like, you could get around this by just having to be like a rich Nazi. Like, I don't know what else we need to do. With yeah. Like, hey. Everything she brings to it is like, Mads just says no to and doesn't do. Yeah. So she yeah. Doesn't, she's like... I, I did so, sort of like how her character and then a, a certain other stuff earlier on in the movie played with the late 1960s Americana iconography with, with the ticker tape parade with certain casting choices but then in the second half of the movie we stray so far away from that i agree and it again it's it it operate it bounces off of what mads is doing where if you have a character like that who's a nazi hiding his nazism and you have him basically reporting to a black cia agent do something with that <laughs> that's kind of my thought yeah. there it doesn't feel like it it's like there's an opportunity there for anything and there's there's not much that's you know, I don't need my Indiana Jones movie to suddenly be rife with um, racial commentary of the 60s. But at the same time, it's like you're doing something on purpose here. It feels like either explore that or just remove this element of the plot because it's, again, it's a long movie. It's, we're, doing, we're doing a lot of work here. But, I mean, it didn't kill it for me. It's just like, ah, this is a part that's like, ah, it's lesser than compared to the what else is going on. There's an underwater scene. We have to talk about yeah, like, yeah, that. There's an underwater scene. You have the that eels, you have baby, on this eels. show. As, <laughs> There's a deep blue scene in this pod, in this film, so we have to talk about it. Which gave us, uh, we, you know, we've, we've had rats, we've had bugs, we've had snakes, snakes of course. So this time we have eels. They look eels. like snakes. No, they don't. The oh. eels. <laughs> so I, I don't think I've been happier this year. Watch it. I love the, the eels. It was a great scene. Just, yeah. yeah. And then you had the whole, like, I think it was, 
you knew the boat was coming. You knew Mads was coming. Then you have the added element of, you know, you have to be underwater for a certain amount of seconds. Then you have kind of the rickety hoses that are connected to the suits, which is like so many things could go wrong. And it's just, I don't know, put, put Harrison Ford fighting more eels. Let's do that. Yeah, I, I, I scuba dive myself. So any movie that has underwater scuba diving scenes I like, but we keep like ringing this horn. It looked good, right? It was well lit. You could see what was going on. It worked. The eels were effectively creepy. Um, it had a great character moment with Phoebe Waller-Bridge there towards the end. It was mm. fun. Yeah. yeah. As far as like unique action sequences go, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I enjoyed the the visual of it as far because it's the 60s, right? So they're like, and they're deep sea diving. So it's like, it's okay. It's just, it's just guys there's like a wide, with... a wide shot where they're kind of like on a cliff and about to jump down to a lower part of the ocean. I was like, that's so cool. That looks great. Biodome skills right there coming in handy. <laughs> Um, the music, <laughs> the music of we didn't bring up the music at all. The music's here. John Williams is back doing his thing. I, I don't know what else to add beyond I like the music that John Williams does in Indiana Jones movies, but that's what I have to say there. Yeah, Joe Williams made another great score. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a great score. I mean, it, it plays on everything we love from Indiana Jones, it plays on you know things John Williams has done in other franchises, but again. There's only eight notes. There's only so many ways you can order those eight notes. You know, like I'm listening to a scene. I'm like, oh, this sounds a lot like when Harry and Ron are in the Forbidden Forest eating Aragog. I'm like, well, they're with creepy crawlies in this. So why not? Fine. All right. Well, I, I think we've covered a, a, a ton of stuff about Indiana Jones and the Destiny, a film we all seem to like. So I want to ask now, when should people go and see this movie? Uh, Maxwell, I'll start with you. When should people see Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny? I would say go see it in theaters. It's a big budget movie that, again, looks really good. And, you know, it, it's a nice theater experience for this holiday, long holiday weekend. Jay? I agree. Go see it in, in, in the cinema. I mean, it does have that. It's, it'll be on Disney Plus by the end of the year, probably. Uh, I mean, definitely. Uh, but I think it's it's worth going to see it in cinema. Mark? Yeah, same. Go watch it. Have some fun. When it gets hot out. Get out of the heat. It's hot in Atlanta right now. Go watch a movie. Do that. Sit in air uh, conditioning. I, I do agree. This movie's big, big theater fun. Like go see it in the theater. That's the that's the way to do Indiana Jones. Uh, it sounds great. It looks great. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of movie too. You get your money's worth. Um, yeah. I will. I point out this movie got a B plus cinema score. Mm. Uh, not the you know, we're almost cinema score. Not the highest. Not the lowest. But certainly you know it's yeah it's it's. it's for a crowd pleaser like this, you, you kind of hope for higher. And the movie, again, made $60 million this weekend. So I guess one last question before we wrap it up. Do, do you do you assign any reason as to why it might have underperformed? I, mean, I have some... Oh, go sorry, ahead. go for it. No, you go for it. I have a couple of thoughts. So I unfortunately think that the prevailing negativity swirling around Crystal Skull has permeated the Indiana Jones brand in a lot of people's mind. Hmm. And I think that coupled with the fact that it's not directed by Spielberg, there was a large swath of people who had no interest or wrote it off as something that they were sure was going to be bad before they saw it. Like, I have not seen a lot of pre-release positivity about this movie. So I just think a lot of people are like, eh. I, I would add to that point that despite the fact that it's a fairly inside audience, the fact that it debuted at Cannes to less than stellar reviews didn't help. Yep. Yeah, but it didn't that, add to it, I, that's for sure. I, so. I think that was that was a mistake to to premiere there. It's weird because Crystal Skull also premiered a can. 
and Crystal School got good reviews. Um, obviously, times change in 15 years. But I, you know, yes, in general, when you're like, let's have people watch three French films in a row and then watch Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, not always going to be the recipe for success when it comes to the initial reactions there. I can see a, you right. know, a, de- a degree of difference in terms of what the audiences are looking for at that point in time. Mark, were you going to add something? I think that the, 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 the Crystal Skull thing, I think, worked as well. But then also, you know, I, I think just the amount of stuff that's out there now. And like, I think the... There's just so many movies. There's so much TV. There's so much going on. And then, like you said, Mangold directed it. I noticed some people who just, I don't know. I I heard a couple of people be like, oh, it's not as good as Raiders. It's like, yeah, but nothing is as good as Raiders. Like, I, I, it just seems like there's some odd negativity about it. I don't know why it, it's. Hey, like, there's I don't been know odd what, negativity in the movie space for the last 20 years. Yeah, you're right. It, it's just, I don't know. It, it's just people seem to have their mind made up about this movie before they watched it. And yep. I've noticed a lot of people bring up the $200 million, $290 million budget. Yeah. And and listen, that's a lot. And uh, and there, there seems to be blowback about sometimes movies that have these larger budgets. But I mean, it's a good time. Like, why? I don't know. I, I will say on that point, I think, you know, 10, 15 years ago, a movie with a budget that high was rare, which made it more special, more of an exclusive thing. Like people far smarter than me have lamented how there's really no mechanism for the mid-budget Hollywood movie anymore. So when one of them comes along, that's pretty good. Everyone's like, oh, they could still make a $15 million movie. So I do think in general, Hollywood needs to cut back on not every, we've had like four or five movies in the last four or five weeks with budgets 200 million plus. We do not need all of that. So these big spectacle movies become less special because you could throw a stone at the movie theater and hit a different one every week. But you would think that one is in dealing with as hallowed of a character in franchises Indiana Jones would be special. And obviously that's not quite the case with general audiences. I, I watched the Crystal Skull when I was living in Korea. And the theater was packed. Like uh, I, I knew some like my Korean friends went to go watch the new Indiana Jones because they were excited. Like it was a packed theater. So I, I guess just the excitement wasn't around this time. So like, even across the world, this was an event in 08. But I think, yeah, like these aren't as, as special anymore with I'm not gonna say saturation, but with all the MCU, big MCU movies, big Star Wars movies, big I don't know, flat DC movies. So I guess it's just one of those now. It's yeah, not, like something I, really I, special. Okay. I agree. And uh, uh, people I know who who five years ago would have been like really into following the cinema, not like film nerds like us lot, but just regular folk uh, who would be like, "I'm going to go to cinema this weekend." I've mentioned to them like, "I'm going to go see the new Indiana Jones film this weekend." And I thought, "Oh, they've made another one of those, have they?" So they just don't. They just eject out of this, the film scene these days. I don't know if if that's people just going to cinema less, or I don't know because other films are doing well. I don't know. I have little to add to this. <laughs> I don't know. Anyone, I don't know anyone else who has seen this film in real life. I just know from the from the internet sphere. I hear you. I mean, well, we'll see where it goes from here. You know, obviously, you know, it's already debuted as it did. So, I mean, as you have to have incredibly strong legs uh, to be huge, but it, you know, it's still making money. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But yeah, certainly curious as far as where things go with Anita Jones. But the the fact stands that we all like the movie quite a bit. And recommend it. So. The job was done on the filmmaker standpoint. (laughs) All right. Well, let's um, we've talked about Indiana Jones a lot. Let's move on now. Let's get to uh, let's get to a a thing. We uh, think we do here. Little little sub games. 
that of course it's fun to do on camera that of course is the improv theme for games and i have a game for you guys this week it is called fortune and glory i'm going to describe to you a famous relic or ancient object of some kind from a movie and you have to tell me what the relic is that i'm referring to in the movie it's a two-point game mm-hmm. every answer you get you can get up to two points uh for so if you feel you know the answer buzz in with your name and then the answer you guys ready yeah sure. all right here we go here's the first one this heavy item has been said to be a radio for speaking to god jay jay the Ark of the Covenant from Raiders of the Lost Ark. That is correct. Two points. You're on the board. All right. All right. Here's the next one. That was the easy one. Uh... <laughs> I don't care. I got it anyway. <laughs> By the way, this Godzilla channel's nuts. Destroy it ended. Now it's playing Rebirth of Mothra 2. What? This is great. <laughs> um, anyway. Um, the golden statue. This golden statuette is encrusted with the rarest of jewels, and also said to be the stuff dreams are made of. Hmm. Oh boy. Okay. Hey, stuffed. This, this golden statuette is encrusted oh. with the rarest. Oh, Maxwell. Of jewels. Yes. The Maltese Falcon from the Maltese Falcon. That is correct. Oh, I thought that was a different color. Okay. <laughs> Well, it's hard to well, tell it's... when the film's in black and white. Yeah, but I, in the in the book, I think it's it's black. I remember, fine, that's the one I wrote down as being. I wait for that one, and I'll go buzz in with that one. <laughs> so good. Next one. This ancient funerary text was written on papyrus. It has instructions for how to bring things to the world of the living, such as the high priest Imhotep. Mark. Mark. The Book of the Dead, the Mummy. That is two point. You're correct. Don't under get under to sell yourself. You got it. <laughs> You're all on the board. That's great. That means you all get to come back at some point. Here's the next one. Oh, <laughs> this item was bought during the First World War in a little general store in Knoxville, Tennessee, by the first company to ever make them. It made its way to the Second World War and then eventually Vietnam, where it needed to be hidden in a precious place to be kept from being taken. It was finally passed on to a young boy who grew up to be a boxer. Maxwell. Maxwell. Are we talking about the watch from Pulp Fiction? What kind of watch? Uh, oh, God. A pocket watch? I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to give you a point for Pulp Fiction. Anyone have a more specific answer? I, I mean, I'll, I'll guess a, a gold wristwatch. A gold, that's exactly the answer. That's, that's okay. the whole point. It is so a, it's not a pocket watch. <laughs> is that, 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 that chapter in Pulp Fiction is literally called The Gold Watch. So that's the oh, answer. Yeah, that question. Hey, you both got points, though. There you go. Right. Here's the next one. Sharing is caring. <laughs> this little container can only be found by someone special as it is hidden in the Cave of Wonders. Jay. Jay? The genie's lamp from Aladdin? That is correct. Yep. Oh. I didn't want to say diamond in the rough to just completely give it away. but <laughs> I was going to say magic beach. <laughs> from the beach. Oh, <laughs> All right. Here's the next one. <laughs> Stupid. Wait, what's that movie on the beach with the the genie? And it was in the eighties with the guy. Oh, with the guy. Yeah, oh, that oh, the guy. Okay. Oh man, genie beach movie. Yeah, the, the shock film. He said the eighties. Genie <laughs> it's not, it's not beach him. movie. I don't know because I'm coming out. Miracle <laughs> Beach. Yeah, yeah, Miracle Beach. Nineties. Oh, yeah, was that it? Aaron was it Miracle Beach? It's called Miracle Beach. A down at his luck. 
beach bum asks a female genie to seduce the woman of his dreams only to realize he might be looking in the wrong place. <laughs> Listen. Stars Amy Dolan's Dean Cameron and Pat Morita. Oh, I was surfing through Tubi and I just saw the title. I was like, what You're is surfing this movie? The I didn't watch it. Yeah. And I was like, wait, what's this? I wasn't right. talking about old, a.k.a. Magic Beach. Magic Beach. Yeah. about Genie Beach. Yeah, Genie Beach. Okay. All right. Here's the next one. The thought is that this piece of jewelry that contains a large diamond could be located somewhere at the bottom of the ocean. Mark. Yes. Yes. Mark. Mark. Ah. Titanic. And it's the. Um... <sighs> Leading in. The, the big old piece of jewelry next Maxwell. to Maxwell. Okay. Oh, Maxwell. It's the heart of the ocean. That's the heart of the ocean. That's the cool to the man. That's how you steal. <laughs> what did I call it? The big old I call it the big old the, piece of jewelry. That's a necklace. Jewelry, yeah. <laughs> All right. Do I get a point for that? Where, you did get a point for that. We're halfway oh through God. right now, by the way. Jay, you're still in the lead with five points. Maxwell, you have four. Mark, you have three. Here's the next one. Contained within this item is the beating heart of a near immortal pirate who is part of Mark. Jay, I heard Jay. It's Pirates Caribbean Dead Man's chest. It's Davy Jones's heart locker. I mean, it's thing. It's the Dead Man's chest. You got it. It's the Dead Man's yeah, chest. Okay. What you it's, that's what the heart's within it. Like, the heart locker is like the sequel to the, the heart, heart locker. To the heart locker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's where that's where they keep uh, Jeremy Renner's um, beating sales. heart. Uh, his his crutches. Uh, oh. Next one. He has to keep him somewhere. What? What he's gonna do? Not keep, Seems not, like he's not, he's not so sleeping. Convenient. <laughs> At the bottom of the sea, pretend by go night. That's just. Here's the next one. In order to locate this fabled treasure hidden by the Knights Templar, invisible engravings on the back of this item will need to be studied. Oh, Maxwell. Maxwell. Is, is it oh. national treasure? The Declaration of Independence. That is correct. Yes. Great. Fabulous. Oh, <laughs> Nailed it. Just watch those films. <laughs> Here's the next one. This magical green object was unlocked under the waters of Edge City and grants the user magical powers of the Norse god of mischief. Maxwell. 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 The mask? It is the mask. Oh. From the mask. The mask, yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right. Edge City. Edge City. Here's the next one. Three more. This notable vessel named after a mythical equestrian creature is said to contain Red Rackham's treasure and was sunk after a battle. Jay? Jay? Uh, Adventure Tintin's Tin, Secret of the Unicorn is the film. The unicorn is that, the that, Yes, it's the unicorn. You're right. <laughs> you got it. It's right there in the title. It's the unicorn. I didn't know how much to give away, how much you'd remember of what the title of that whole movie is. Some people say The Adventures of Tintin, but yeah, it's The Secret of the Unicorn. I, I, Love that film. Yeah, well, because it's great. It rocks. It is. It is great. That's the the the. That's Indiana Jones four point five. Um. All right. Stories have been told of a legendary jungle city covered in gold and full of people. It is referred to as a key letter in the alphabet. J. J. The lost city of Z. That that is great, and it's Z. Yeah, that's the. the... (laughs) Such a good movie. It really is. I love that film. All right. Here's the last one. I haven't seen it. This legendary character has been placed on a mission to find this sacred object, and it will require the help of his brave friends. The journey won't be easy, especially with all of the obstacles in their path, including a deadly bridge, a cave monster, the rabbit of Cabanog, and the Mark? French. Mark? Monty Python and the Holy Grail? Uh, the Holy Hand Grenade. 
what the, the you already grail. said it you said it yeah oh yeah <laughs> the holy holy grail. Grail. <laughs> that's what they're looking for i'm tired y'all I'm it's tired. all right because you got the right answer all right well with all of that mark you were in third place this week maxwell you came in second but jay you are a winner of fortune and glory hooray Yay. good job jay there's much Thanks. rejoicing <laughs> Yay! all right well that was fun let's um Oops. let's uh let's move on now let's get some out now feedback 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 thank you uh this is where we go with the various questions answered our facebook page facebook.com slash now podcast we have a number of questions the listeners they give us some answers and then they give us a question that we can answer uh mark j maxwell feel free to throw in any answers you might have as we go through these first question we have here how do you rank the indiana jones films scott writes haven't seen the new one yet but first is definitely the best i like the third then the second didn't like crystal skull Jordan Rath, friend of the show, writes, I think I'm three over one, ever so slightly, then five, then two, then four. Michael Lee, friend of the show, has one, three, two, five, four. Joe has three, one, two, five, four. Chris writes one and two, if that's one with the monkey brains, and I can't really remember three or four, which is shocking that you can't remember a Sean Connery movie, but okay. Uh, Fair and answers, three is easily my fave. Adam Gentry, friend of the show, writes, haven't seen the latest, but the others are three, one, two, four for me. Philip adds Last Crusade, then Raiders, then Crystal Skull, and Temple of Doom. Last Crusade is my favorite because it contains all of the fun stuff of Raiders and adds Sean Connery for a father-son theme. I'm surprised by how many people had Last Crusade in first place. It's it's my favorite of the of the all, but I but Raiders is a perfect film. Like Raiders is a better film. It's like fact. <laughs> I prefer Last Crusade. <laughs> I, 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 you know, Raiders is always my number one. I, I also like Raiders again, but with the dad this time. That's a good movie. Yeah. I'm not, nothing against it. Right. <laughs> he shoots his own plane. Like, he, son, they got it. I just, yeah, I love everything Connery does in that film. People get on me because I'm like, Temple of Doom better than Crusade. I'm like, I mean, they're all A plus movies. Like, it's not, yeah. like, it doesn't like affect me this much. Yeah. <laughs> it's, they're all great. It's like something awesome compared to something less, but still awesome. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any substantial thoughts on on what you, you're a crusade guy, Jay? That's what I'm taking. Yeah, away. but my, I mean, my uh, fact ranking of the quality ranking is one, three, two, five, four, but my preferred ranking is three, one, two, five, four. In terms of what my favorite is. Max, have you assigned any rankings here? Yeah, I would go one, three, five, four, two. Oh, okay. I, I do not care for Temple of Doom very much. I think it's mean spirited and ugly. Well, I mean, to drink the blood of Kali. I mean, I get it. Mark, do you have any? Uh, I guess one, two, three, four, five. No, one, two, three, five, four. There you go. Okay. Yeah. You're just counting. I do. I watch three the most because I feel like my teachers used to put used to like just put it on. Like all right, history class today. I'm hungover, and then like until so I watched <laughs> it a lot in elementary, middle, and high school. I also had a teacher that wasn't feeling it one day, so he put on Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire, and he just made us pick a theme from it and write a paper. That was an entire class. Pretty smart. I've I've definitely said this story before, but when I was young, I had, like, Raiders was, like, my movie. It was great. And, like, I've, I've seen that in full plenty of times. But, like, we had, we didn't buy the video, the VHS copies. My dad had just recorded them on VHS. And so I had Temple of Doom and Last Crusade on the same tape. Now, with that said with those tapes for whatever reason the temple of doom tape ends when indiana jones like climbs up the bridge and just smiles that's where it ends and then last crusade this is even worse last crusade begins when he's on the boat 
after all the River Phoenix stuff. So for the longest time, I never knew that there was an ending to Temple of Doom that's like he goes back to the village and all the kids are there like congratulating him. And that, that there's this whole fucking prologue to Crusade that has young Indiana Jones. I, I had never like seen that before until like years later. Uh, so that's you that's no idea why he was gonna snakes. How he I, got the scar? I, yeah, I had all no idea of all those mystery. all those convenient things that happened in one day. I was not aware of until much later. And honestly, the movie suffers from it. Uh, but it's, <laughs> but that that's 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 my, that's my growing up of indie as far as that goes. Although the Temple of Doom ending is pretty fun. It's just like, oh, he cried the bridge and then he's done. That's the end of the movie. <laughs> he solved I mean, it. Like, better ending. He fell. He fell. The guy fell off. You know, <laughs> that's it. All right, next question we have. Include uh okay. Including henchmen, who is your favorite villain from an Indiana Jones movie? Uh Scott writes Ronald Lacey as Nazi agent Arnold Tote for Raiders. Chris writes definitely Major Tote. Uh Joe writes, I always like this guy, and he's referring to Pat Roach, the big German yes. in uh, Raiders specifically. And uh Jason writes Belloc. He's the most dangerous. Also, he ate a fly. He's clearly insane. <laughs> you guys have a favorite villain? Uh, from the series, I was going to say Pat Roach and Raiders. So okay, happy, happy someone else did. Few few reactions are better than India, but then Pat Roach like giving him a say, "Hey, we're going to fight now." And into being like, "All right, <laughs> hold on, <laughs> let me let me get down." <laughs> and like talking of brutal deaths, like, right. yeah, the, the propeller. Ugh. And then he's like, "Kill me better <clears throat> next time." And he's like, "Okay, we'll crush you in a rock crusher." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you guys have a favorite villain? No, I don't really think about the villains much in indie okay, movies. <laughs> I know yeah, I'm not trying to be I lazy. I just I I don't I can't even think of one right now. The snake in Jock's plane. <laughs> That's just his friend Reggie. <laughs> yeah, it's Reggie. All right, next question. Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett. All right, is it Spalco? Very chew- very Russian. The way she chews on those wubbies. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Uh, who is your favorite sidekick or friend or supporting character from an Indiana Jones film? Scott has Marion. Keith has Short Round, of course. Jason writes Salah, aka Very Dangerous. You go first. Uh, Philip has Short Round, which is ironic since he's from my least favorite film. And Joe writes Marcus Brody because he's got friends in every town and village from here to the to the Sudan. He speaks a dozen languages, knows every local custom. He'll blend in, disappear. You'll never see him again. And with any luck, he has the Grail already. They won't speak Latin. Uh, or ancient Greek. I, I mean, Salah is 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 the best. Doris Davies. It it was. I knew this guy in, in Lord of the Rings called Doris Davies playing Gimli, and a guy in Indiana Jones called Doris Davies playing Salah. But it was many many years before I realized they were the same person. Like, <laughs> it's not a common name, what? Uh, but they just they just look. They are such such different mm-hmm. actors uh, to me. But yeah, would Salah we not is... would we not consider his dad his sidekick? I was, gonna last say, I, was no. I was surprised that nobody mentioned Sean Connery in because this answer. <laughs> if so, that that's the answer. Yeah, I'll do yeah. that. Yeah. Henry yeah. Jones, Henry Jones Senior. Yeah, this Mothra movie is nuts. By the way, it's got temples and shit. <laughs> oh my god, it's crazy. <laughs> um, all right, what is your favorite moment from an Indiana Jones film? Todd Lieben, our friend of the show, writes the map room scene from Raiders and the mine car chase from Temple of Doom. Joe has the tank horse chase in the desert with the Nazis and the cliff from Last Crusade. And Lee writes the arc chase on the truck from Ar- bleh, for Raiders of the Lost Ark, of course. I am with Lee. That um, that, um, that truck chase in Raiders is like one of my favorite action scenes ever. Like I think it's so perfect as far as what Spielberg's doing, what Harrison Ford's giving to it. How dirty it feels when he's just like on literally on the ground being dragged by the truck and has to climb his way back into it. 
all of that stuff is just like me on a, the highest of highs watching that sequence. But how about you guys? What is your favorite moment from an Indiana Jones movie? I feel like the franchise starts on a high. Yeah, like the, yeah. the temple in Raiders. Yeah. <laughs> that that's the traps and the my boulder. Answer, my answer too is the very opening of Raiders. Uh, I love the look of the chase in Temple of Doom. The on the what the minecar chase. The mine like, car I just chase. love the feel of it. I don't. It just there's some danger there. I, I just I like the stuff on the on the bridges. Like the danger of it. It's just fun for me. I don't know. Growing up, I always loved the look of it. It just looks cool. It looks great. Like what's amazing is like that and like the speeder bike chase in Endor. They're made with such like lo-fi means. Like, yeah, we'll just throw a camera through the woods and or, or like <laughs> yeah. we'll build a couple models and just kind of do this with them for a while and film it really fast. And they look amazing. And mm-hmm. like there's chases you've probably seen like weeks ago that you can't remember anymore compared to those chases that look incredible. <laughs> That's uh, even when I was I just remember when I was young, you know, you don't really think about, oh, wow, this is wonderful. You know, the way it's put together, you know, when you're 10, you're not thinking that. But I always felt that way watching it when I was 10. I'm like, this just looks cool. This looks different. This looks dangerous. I always like that one. And I, I love that. The, sorry, the, the escape from the castle in in uh, Last Crusade, the, oh, the, sure. the Indian, his dad, like uh-huh. the. Junior, Junior, dad, 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 like the, what you did, like just the, like his dad, like discovering how his son does archaeology for the first time. Uh huh. Is is a lot of fun as well. The that opening in Raiders, though, like I, I just try to, I always try to think about like what's it like in '81 for an audience going to the theater for the first time. Like this is where the movie starts. Like there's 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 two <laughs> more <go>. hours. <laughs> like we have more to go. This is insane. Exhausting. <laughs> Uh, next question. What's your favorite ancient relic from an Indiana Jones film? What else could they explore or find? Gary writes Cleopatra's tomb. Uh, Keith uh, writes the Sankara stones from uh, Temple of Doom. Uh, Philip has the Ark for sure. It could be cool to have a film searching for a menorah from the Maccabean the, the Maccabean revolt uh, said to have burned for eight days. That's actually a really cool idea. <laughs> Indiana Jones and the Maccabees. That is a cool idea. I'm all for that. Indiana Jones and his Hanukkah adventure. Um, and Justin has the Ark is my favorite, but they could search for not a relic, but the Lost City of Atlantis, which is a game. Uh, Indiana Jones and the City of Atlantis, a, a, a PC game, or even Noah's Ark. That'd be something. He finds mm-hmm. an Ark. You have a favorite uh, relic that he's looked for in these movies? Holy Grail. Yeah, yeah, Holy Grail. Yeah, yeah I, I, I like the dial. <laughs> the uh, anchor to anchor to Thera, whatever it's called in this one. I, uh, I like that one. That was neat. Yeah. yeah, I just like the cup. There was a time where I thought. Uh, Indiana Jones and the Fountain of Youth can be fun and then you have a way to recast and keep going but I'm sort of glad they never actually did that because it would, probably would have been Chris Pratt and no one wants that. I so, mean, uh, you know, if, if you want to see uh, Darren Aronofsky's Indiana Jones movie, you can just watch uh, The Fountain. The Fountain. <laughs> True enough. True enough. He's got a conquistador in there. It's, it's pretty much an archaeologist. Uh, yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't cry much, but that movie made me shed one tear. The fountain. The fountain. And I, 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 I cry rare enough to be like, I just cried. I, I remember being really impressed. Like that movie made me cry. It's possible. It's like one tear <laughs> dropped down my face. It's possible to break through that black heart of yours. <laughs> Listen, I'll, I well up a lot. I really do. Like I'm, I'm a big well upper, uh, but very rarely do tears escape that. So yeah, I was quite impressed. When one dropped out while watching the fountain, it only escapes that. like you watch Stellan Skarsgård die for the fourteenth time in Deep Blue Sea. Yeah. yeah, or when I think about Take Shelter, whenever I talk about that movie, I start There's welling a storm up. storm coming. Oh man, my eyes. No, <laughs> oh man, my. Yeah, whenever I think about that movie, I tear up or well up. 
It's flip a table near Mark and he just starts to get emotional. <laughs> it's rare. All right. Uh, John Williams score is iconic. I'm not, I just got to keep going. I'm sorry. John. I appreciate what you're saying. John Williams score is iconic. What's your favorite musical cue from an Indiana Jones movie? Uh, Todd writes, other than the Raiders March, which is the theme, uh, the map room from Raiders and the shirt. So for the, for motorcycle from last crusade, I know what he's referring to there. Uh, Jason writes, he loves the love theme from Raiders and Keith has the well of souls theme from Raiders. Any favorite musical cues from these movies? Yeah, I love I love Marion's theme, which is I think the love yeah, it's the theme love from theme. Raiders. Yeah. It's really lovely. Uh, the the bit that goes da 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 da. da. <laughs> it's pretty. I've heard of that one. So. I'm not not familiar. I want a John Carpenter synth score for one of these. One that of these. would be my favorite. Uh, yeah. There's some Philip Glass. All right. Uh, last question we have here. What's the best globe-trotting adventure film that's not an Indiana Jones movie? Scott writes The Talented Mr. Ripley and the French version Purple Noon, The Man Who Would Be King, and The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, either version. Uh, Christopher has Around the World in 80 Days, the original. Eric has The Bourne movies. Justin has World War Z. Keith has The Great Race. Chris has The Old Guard at Casino Royale. And Philip has The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Other MIDI fans Fast out there. I like, I like MIDI a lot. <laughs> it's nice to hear people like that movie. Fast X is your, your favorite globe trotting. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they go everywhere. They go to every continent. Oh. I mean, the, the Tintin film that they, they travel a lot. Yeah. I think. I, I like World War Z. I'm going to go with that. Yes. Oh, yeah. Great choice. They, cool. do, they do, they do um, travel the world in World War Z. Hmm. Try to, let me think. That's a great pick, Mark. Well, I stole it from someone, but I <laughs> I take credit for having to wear with all the steel from someone. The mummy, they're just kind of in Egypt, so it's hard to be like, yeah. the mummy. Um, but the mummy returns, though. They're blimping all over the place. Jeez Louise. Yeah. Mummy returns could have called the mummy big blimping. <laughs> big blimping? Mummy 2, big blimping. Big I mean, <laughs> that was about the time when that song came out. So, yeah, big blimping. Because big dirigible sounds ridiculous. I actually do that one because that's just odd. That'd be like, big dirigible. Just hearing people say it, like if I worked at a theater, that'd be great. That's like really <laughs> against the company. Yeah, big dirigible over there. <laughs> just, give, just give me tickets for Mummy Two. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we have one question that we received this week. It is from Philip. He writes: The new indie film has highlighted the hate that Crystal Skull gets. Not saying you have to like it, but I get strong. I get a strong groupthink impression from its opposition. So my question is. Just how prevalent in the movie world is groupthink and its effect on how certain films are received? For example, remember how much Keanu Reeves was dismissed and ridiculed before his resurgence? This is a really good question. The idea of how groupthink affects movies. I've had to read so many reviews since 2017 working for Rotten Tomatoes. And you do, you do notice trends. Like you do notice when an actor is not liked at the time. You do notice when a movie has gotten a bit old. Like I've read so many reviews where they they really stick to one trend, and so yeah, I, I think it's absolutely real. And I, you know, sometimes before a movie will even come out, it, it just has negative buzz. Like people automatically don't like it before it came out. So I think it's real, and I, I yeah, I, I think it is quite prevalent in the industry. Yeah, I, I think we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier. Also, I, I think particularly those who are avid social media users and film Twitter, whatever you want to call it, I very much think groupthink is real. I think it's increasingly rare to see people just 
try and watch anything in a contextless vacuum and legitimately make up their own mind. They're going to be influenced by pre-release negative buzz or stories we heard from the set. Or, you know, if the first reviews that come out for a movie are negative and it starts with a bad Rotten Tomatoes score, I do think it has an influence on how people approach it. And they are susceptible to agreeing with what the consensus may be instead of just making up their own mind. And it's frustrating because I think it does a disservice to the art form and it does a disservice to yourself. Like in an ideal world, you'll sit down and watch a movie and make up your own mind and nothing else matters, but that doesn't happen. It just doesn't. That point about the, you know, lowered Rotten Tomato score, I think is especially true given the way that, yes, if you're looking up a movie and the stats you see in front of it are like, here's the movie rating showtimes and the Rotten Tomatoes, the tomato score, like, yeah, that, you know, when you have a lot of options in the summer, like you do right now, and you see fresh ones versus rotten ones, that absolutely, I think, adds to a, why would I choose this one when this one clearly is liked more by other people? That's not necessarily the best metric to go on as far as why you're choosing what movies to see, but I do think, yeah, I think that's a big, one of the big reasons as to why things perform certain ways that they do. So having like Elemental and Indiana Jones regardless of how you think of those films, having the premiere at a film festival and get less than stellar reviews to begin with, not setting them up for the best of success, and it's not based on the fact that they saw the movie and didn't like it, it's based on, hey, other people said this thing, therefore I agree with it, uh, even if it's subconscious. So it's it can be frustrating, for sure. I... Yeah, Elemental is not out in the UK yet. Uh-huh. But all I know about it is it's uh, lackluster. So, I, so I'm not going to go and see it. Because I've heard, like, oh yeah, well, I, it's, it's rare for me to make it to the cinema regularly these days anyway, so... I'm not going to waste one of my viewing on Elemental <laughs> Disney Plus soon, and the reviews of kind of black of not great. So that's like I'm kind of on the back foot, seemingly for a lot of new releases. So I, I'd go on this opinion that comes from America of like, eh, Elemental is just another one; it's fine. Which is certainly there's plenty of metrics in, in general as far as trailers or what you're being sold on or what have you to all like all have influence or what have you. But yeah, when it comes to yeah, like back when you pointing out like film Twitter for whatever influence that has, yeah, the, there's an idea of of jumping on top of something because it's the trendy thing to do as far as why you don't like so like even my indiana jones review uh, i pointed out very clearly i bet the de-aging and the third act are going to be things that are critical criticized the most in these movies and of the reviews i've read yep that's absolutely the case you know that's i mean I, there's some sex just hate phoebe water bridge because she's in it and that's just a section of film twitter as they hate her mm. and i don't understand that because i think she's mm. great all it takes is one person with some level of influence to say something negative. And then it's interesting how so many other people all of a sudden have the same thought as if it was an original thought that they came up with on their own. And to your point, it may be subconscious, mm-hmm. but it, it's it it's kind of a problem. It, it Especially work. now with so much media, right? Like people, yeah. people are going to have a, people have a hard time. Like this isn't where DVDs and everything can be passed around now. Word for like, there's so much co- like content coming that, it, it almost doesn't have time to overcome that negative press because it's gone. And then it's just going to be drowned out by all the other content coming out. So it, it's even more dangerous nowadays to have like a, a narrative around your film because it might just disappear. Yep. And how many times do you see like a film five, six, seven years after release, people rediscover and they're like, oh, that was actually pretty good. How come I didn't see it in theater? Well, let me tell you about 2008 <laughs> when everyone said this is a piece of shit and you shouldn't go see it because one guy didn't like it. But actually, now that that narrative has finally dissipated, you could just watch it and be like, 
oh yeah i did like that movie absolutely to, to go on the other end of it for a bit there is some you know and it's not necessarily the same but sometimes just like a bad movie is a bad movie <laughs> like it's it's hard to mm-hmm. yes. yeah like you know if it's, if it's not good it's not good I mean, some movies should get panned because they're just bad or some movies are great because hey the people just recognize that they're all great like obviously you know i know what i i know what how I conduct myself as far as I consider myself a level-headed person as far as what I'm rating something or what I'm going after it and how I'm trying to analyze my thoughts on it. But yes, there's certainly this idea that on the one hand, yeah, if there's a an inkling of something that gets out from one end, suddenly everyone piles onto that because it just appeals to them in some way uh, because some people just like inherently being negative. Or, you know, there, there can be the, hey, we all just separately agreed on something for some reason but i do more often than not i do agree that yes the idea of the perception of something shifting changing or just becoming the thing that it is because that's just the way it seems to be in a certain crowd very much present very much a a true a a truth that exists out there i like that underwater is getting some positive press because i feel like that just got dismissed as soon as it came out but that's a fun creature feature so i've noticed some people writing about it lately being like hey actually this isn't terrible it was like a January I, kind of release that kind of came yeah. out of nowhere. Like I, I get where that comes from, but yeah, I, I hear you. It's fun. That's a film that I hated first time round and revisited and loved it. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for that question, Phil. That was a good question, and that's gonna end feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. Thank you. And that's gonna bring us to the end of this week's episode <laughs> of Out Now Theater Name. You can find more of my work at my personal blog, thecodazeek.com. Everything I do ends up over there. I write for Wheel of Entertainment for movie reviews and Wise to Blue for Blu-ray and Criterion reviews. I am currently a part of the Summer of 93 at 30. This is the podcast that's part of the Brandon Peters Show, where Brandon Peters, Scott Mendelson, and myself talk about the summer movie season from 1993. That includes such films as Jurassic Park and Last Action Hero and Sleepless in Seattle and, of course, Rookie of the Year. Uh, so tune into mm-hmm. that show. It's been a lot of fun. We rec- All the episodes are recorded already, so it's kind of fun to just be like, oh, yeah, that's what we said. Um, but, um, yeah, that's a lot of fun. And my Twitter, Aaron's PS4. Uh, Mark Hoffmeyer, where can people find more of you online? Yeah, movies, films, and flicks, movies, films, and FLIX, Deep Blue Sea, the podcast. We just finished up Con Air. If you, Jay dropped some really fun stuff on the Con Air, our last episode, but it's about an hour deep. The first hour is nonsense. But yeah, if you want to listen to that, Jay dropped some really cool stuff about the book. The, what is it? The, Jay, what is it? The um, novelization of Con Air? Con Air, the novel by Richard Woodley, uh, a book that exists <laughs> I read in one sitting on a train journey. And made notes of how the book is different to the film and provided a quiz for Mark and our guests on that episode. That was lovely. <laughs> and then, yeah, so those shows. And then I have a couple of videos coming up by the uh, for By the Numbers. I watched every Nolan film and Mission Impossible movie. Those will be out in July. So go to Fandom By the Numbers. And I have something really cool. If you'd asked me a couple of months what website I could write for, I would have said this website. And then they contacted me. And then I have an article coming out later this week, but I don't want to jinx it. So I guess if you go to my Twitter page and I don't know, Facebook or something at Movie Sons of Flakes or Mark Hoffmeyer, I'll post it when it goes live, but I don't want to jinx it now because okay. it's not out yet. All but right. I'm very, I'm very, very excited. Like, I think it, it's going to lead to some cool stuff. Knocking so. all the woods for you. That's great. Yeah. Uh, Jay Clute, we're going to be able to find more of you. And as Mark said, Conair, the podcast, our, our final episode is coming out this week. So that podcast, if you want to hear us talk about Conair scene by scene, <laughs> chapter by chapter for... Uh, 39 consecutive weeks. Aaron was a guest early on. I uh, then come, come, come listen to that. And then Deep Blue Sea, the podcast, we did the same thing for all three Deep Blue Sea films, because there are three Deep Blue Sea films, scene by scene. And now we're two of them are good. Sea adjacent films, two of them, like, yes. And the, the middle one is fun. 
beautiful. <laughs> so it's one of Mark's favorite films. So so Deep Blue Sea obviously has continued going. Like you've talked about the movies that yes. you're still going with that. But Con, you're saying Con Air is done. That podcast done. is over. Con Air done. is done. Done. We we the is... main thing we've learned from doing Con Air is we missed talking about Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> so we're gonna yeah. uh, stop doing Con Air adjacent films and continue doing Deep Blue Sea adjacent films. Okay. There's more shark films than there are like plane films. Well, there's more. There's like a bunch of people do action film podcasts already. Not many people do uh, do shark film podcasts. So we're so, so is, doing. So this isn't leading. Is there not another like scene by scene movie podcast breakdown you guys are doing? No, not, uh, not in there's the no there's no. no exclusive I can premiere it out now about no. what you're doing. I, I, I'm I think, too busy to we've... start a new one. We we've said like Event Horizon and Twister in the past. These are both like we're not saying never. Like you can do all those tornado films. Saying, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're Sharknado, just saying, Wizard like... of Oz, and Sharknado, <laughs> and have a crossover <laughs> podcast. If we do, it won't uh, be forty episodes. Okay, that's no, for it'll sure. Be fewer, yes, the three chapters okay. is too many for Connor. Yeah, well, fair enough. Yeah, Deep Sea still going strong. All right, yeah. and I just want to for listen for listeners who liked Indiana Jones, which I think is people listen to the show. Indiana Jones Minute is a podcast I have not been on. I recommend to everyone is they went through Indiana Jones all four films at this point minute by minute for every episode and I would strongly recommend it. It's a great show. Wow, that sounds like 500 episodes of fun right there. Yes. Um, <laughs> Maxwell Haddon, where can people find more of you? Find me on Twitter at Cinemaxwell and that's about all I have time for with everything else I got doing in real life. Fair enough. <laughs> Very busy and tired all the time. Completely understand. Uh, well, Maxwell, Jay, Mark, thank you all for joining me for this Indiana Jones podcast. Oh, yeah. Good to be here. Thank you for, thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. For sure. Glad to have you guys all on. Uh, next week's show, uh, we'll see. Uh, there's, there's a few smaller films we have Insidious, The the Red Door, of course, and a Joyride are coming up. But also, it's the midpoint of the year. We might do a little best of the year so far episode. We'll see what happens. We'll see what Abe and I come up with. But we do have plenty of fun in store. And of course, all of July is still left as well, which has plenty of movies coming out. Uh, but that is going to do it uh, for this week's episode. You can find all the episodes about Now Fair on iTunes, Audio Boom, Spotify, and Stitcher. Feel free to email us at outnowpocketgmail.com. Follow us on all the socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that. And um, yeah, uh, thanks once again to our guests. Thanks to listeners for listening. And until next time, so long and goodbye. It's a good poster. I'll give it that. Like, I mean, that <laughs> it does the job. Yeah. The Dial of Destiny? No, Craven the Hunter. You just be in that oh, in that chair that. staring at you. It's like I, you look at that, but like the haunted mansion, like, oh, it's following me around. Okay. They had that in Mandalorian too. Like that, that, um, Bo Katan was just sitting in the chair hanging out. Yeah. I'm a fan of people like sitting in chairs the wrong way or like, oh, wait, you know, not the standard way. That's, that's fun to me. <laughs> <laughs> Need more that of that. Like movie. a gargoyle on the seat. Okay, I got a new yeah. data post to write. Thanks, yeah, Aaron. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Awkward chair sitting. Cap pulling the chair around. So you saw Craven the Hunter. <laughs> All right. He sticks out like a sore thumb. We'll find him. The hell you will. He's got a two-day head start on you, which is more than he needs.
Brody's got friends in every town and village from here to the Sudan. He speaks a dozen languages, knows every local custom. He'll blend in, disappear. You'll never see him again. With any luck, he's got the grail already. Uh, does anyone here speak English? Or even ancient Greek? Uh, water, no, thank you, sir. No, fish make love in it. Thank you so much. No, I don't, thank you. No, I really don't want... No, thank you very much. No, thank you, madam, I'm a vegetarian. Does anyone understand a word I'm saying?